0: Hey everybody, Jacob here with uh Daniel 3. Um got a uh new episode here for you guys. This is a conversation I had with my friend Hody Johns. Hody is host of Enemy of My Enemy, which is a podcast on the We Are Libertarians Network. Um Hody is a self described center libertarian, but I find that often I view him as being a bit more on the left. That's my opinion. He would probably disagree a little bit um on the exact framing of that um but it worked out beautifully i think because you know hody is certainly to the left on social issues more so than i am and we talked about that in the podcast and it was interesting to have him on after my conversation with stefan molyneux who is a bit you know obviously more further to the right and Um, I was happy to have these conversations. It wasn't intentional, but I'm happy it worked out the way it did, that these conversations went back to back. Because I was able to talk to Hody about my conversation with Molyneux. And we were able to, you know, like when I first scheduled Molyneux on, uh, Hody was less than thrilled. Uh, But then after the conversation, Hody, I think, understands what my reasoning and intentions were with that conversation conversation and it's about building bridges and about what we talk about in the podcast which is about um leading with love and encouraging what we love about people and then from that pushing them to be more consistent and pushing them to reject logical inconsistencies and to to join you on a journey of pursuing greater truth and and greater love for our neighbors and uh for liberty so uh Definitely check Hody out. I think Hody is a, um, an interesting uh, person with an interesting background. We both have a speech and debate background. Um, and uh, uh, I think that Hody's uh, show, Enemy of My Enemy, is definitely worth checking out as well. So give that a like and a follow. And of course, always as always, uh, if you could help get this show out um, as far as sharing it, uh, the whether you're watching it on YouTube or watching on your different uh, platform. If you like it, if there's an episode you find to your particular particular liking and you feel like you want to share it, by all means, please do so. I want to get uh, these conversations out and in front of as many people as possible, grow the reach of the podcast because, you know, I, I don't really want money out of this. But at the same time, it's not a, you know, as the podcast is growing, I want to continue to do that because... I don't think anyone puts a message out there with the intention of having that message not be heard. So if you guys could help facilitate that, I would be greatly appreciative. I'm i uh, I'm super humble and uh overwhelmed by the support I've already received and people, you know, when you guys tag me in different posts and you're sharing my links and stuff, it's it's incredibly heartwarming um and I'm glad to be part of the, you know, diverse and ever growing libertarian podcasting sphere and just one voice among many in this fight to bring the values that we hold dear uh to the rest of the world so that we can see a world that is filled with uh, social cooperation, peace and love for our fellow man. So um I'll end on that. Go ahead and listen to this episode and let me know what you guys think and thanks a lot. Okay, I got the little red light that says that I am live. Uh, Good evening, everybody. Uh, This is Jacob Daniel with the uh, Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy Podcast. Um, Waiting on our guest for tonight, our guest is Hody Johns of uh, We Are Libertarian uh, Network. He is the host of the show Enemy of My Enemy, which I occasionally guest show on, but I've known Hody uh, before he started that show. Um, We've been friends for a while over Facebook, uh, both Christians and libertarians, anarchists, And so I'm looking forward to an exciting conversation with him tonight, um, which I will add him onto the stream as soon as he joins us. Um, In the meantime, um, I'll plug the website again. Um, The website is up and running. Still a couple glitches that we are uh, working out and some fine tuning. uh, But uh, Daniel318.com is is up and running. Uh, The podcasts are there. Um, There's also you can leave comments. You can... um, If you want to, I have things set up now that if you want to donate to the show, you can do so. Um, I'm only going to accept donations up until the point that it would cover the cost of running the show. And after that, you know, if I started making more than that, I would be uh, looking for some kind of either. I'm not sure I've toiled with either picking one charity and sticking with it for a while or maybe every month kind of picking a new charity and uh, donating monthly proceeds and the excess of what I make to cover costs towards that charity, um, but you know that's down the road. Um, you can also, if you um, are a listener of the show and you want to partake in it, like if you want to, uh, there, there's an option where you can uh, send like a voice question, uh, like record a question or a comment to be uh, read live on the air, um, and there's also if you wanted to join the show and actually like be on here for like a conversation, there's a form that you can fill out um, and uh, get on the show that way as well. Um, let see. I see Caleb is in the, uh, <laughs> my friend Caleb of the uh, libertarians network. I mean, of the Catholic libertarian God, I can't think straight tonight uh, is already in the comments, uh, shit posting me. So that's good. Uh, see, he said, just gave you a written intro. You're welcome. Looking, <laughs> he said, looking at the world through the lens of faith and freedom. <laughs> That's a good title. I will, I will definitely tax that, as the uh, libertarian vernacular goes. Give um, me one second here. I'm going to. Um, oh crap! I sent the link to the wrong. <laughs> I sent the link to the wrong person. That's why he hasn't joined yet. <laughs> had multiple messenger uh windows up and sent it to somebody else who i'm going to be having on next month uh but yeah actually um that's a good way to segue to announcing it um at the end of this month i believe it is on my calendar for the 28th um i'm getting Gr- uh, gregory Baus back on uh Baus is uh boss sorry no is it bouse I don't remember. I'll ask him again when he's back on. Uh, I think it's I think it's ba- uh, Baus, um, but yeah, Greg, who I had a great conversation with early on in the show. Um, he is um, the one where the conversation I had with him was on Romans thirteen and the idea of uh, stateless civil governance. So my views on uh, reconciling Christian anarchism and libertarian philosophy with the Bible. Uh, stem a lot from that conversation and i'm going to be having him back on the show at the end of the month and we're going to dive a little bit more into uh the ideas of uh sphere sovereignty uh, which is an idea that Abraham Kuyper uh a, a dutch reformer kind of the, one of the founders of like the neo calvinist movement came up with um and we're going to dive into that a little bit more and kind of explain more of the reformed positions on um uh christian doctrines of civil governance and uh how that pertains to libertarian philosophy so definitely check that out that'll be a great conversation all right hody is in the lobby and i'm going to add him now do it my friend how you doing
1: Doing good how you doing jacob
0: i'm fantastic i sent you the i sent the link i don't know if you heard i sent the link to the wrong person so i was just around waiting just like okay Okay, I'm gonna go live. Wait for him. Okay, and then finally, I like uh, I'm the dummy. I sent it to the wrong guy.
1: There's a lot of Hodies out there. It's a perfectly acceptable mistake.
0: <laughs> no, it was just I had like multiple messenger window, windows open and just but copied and pasted the uh, join link to the wrong wrong person. So, but uh, that's all right. Uh, I'm glad you're here now. So, um, I already kind of introduced you, but I'll uh, let you introduce yourself as well. Um, uh maybe just give your background a little bit um and you know like five minutes talk about how you came to libertarianism and what it is you you do uh like because you have actually I wanted to you uh what you do for a living uh is your career because that's interesting and then also what you do in the libertarian uh grifting sphere. I mean podcasting
1: sphere. <laughs> uh good stuff. Well uh I am Hody Johns. I am um Really nothing too special. I did major in theology, and so I do I do have a love of kind of all – I did general studies theology. I love all um, – I just love studying religion in general. I find there's some great principles there. Um, I'm part of the Weird Libertarians Network. The way I came to be a libertarian, I was really – I grew up Republican, and I, I can't ever say I was like a – I was definitely like a pro-war, what you would call like a neocon. Uh, type of Republican. I was never sold on a lot of the uh, bigotry that's within the Republican Party. And when I was part of the Tea Party, and I know looking back now it was so dumb, but I really thought it was all going to change. Like we had so many people that were like, "Hey, finally, let's, let's let this gay marriage thing go. Let's let this like anti-immigrant thing go. Let's just be done with it. Let's cut loose." And I got to tell you, and I worked for the Republicans, and I just I really thought that was the future. And when that got squashed and actually got squashed by the RNC uh, it's funny is the DNC kind of had the more public uh, sabotage of the candidates they didn't like of the democratic candidates, but uh, the RNC, I mean, they challenged whenever we had a, a candidate that was kind of a social liberal uh, you know, fiscal, actual conservative. I mean, that was a big thing too is that we were like actually talking about shrinking budgets. And when, whenever we'd put somebody up, the RNC itself would contest our signatures. I mean we're used to fighting it against the democrats in courts and we're used to fight you know when we were used to fighting even against libertarians in the courts but fighting against our own people it's just too much you know they they could direct the flow of money they had all the political action committees they had we had no hope and so their bigoted terrible uh <laughs> anti anti actual conservative candidates uh would act, would end up winning and i just said you know what there is no way forward here i really thought that this was going to be it um it that did not work out. Um, so I ended up becoming a libertarian. I was like, you know what, this looks like a live and let live kind of uh movement here, and that's how I found my way here. I have loved it here. Um, I was, I guess, and probably, probably I, I should have started this. Maybe what you might know me know most for is my speech and debate work. That's what got me through high school, through college, paid for my college. We won three national championships. Um, and it was, and so I have a love of debate. Um, but a lot of that debate is what brought me to Liberty because there's good reasons for almost every, to make any decision on any policy. And it made me realize that there's one universal law isn't really great. And this kind of brought me into anarchy, right? Because you have one law and you have to adhere to that single standard, as opposed to using your conscience to say like, well, in this, in this way, I could see it being used or in this way it wouldn't make any sense, as opposed to saying, no, it has to make sense all the time for all people. And it allows for no nuance at all. The law does not permit you a difference of opinion and so, or, or a different way to run your life and, and to accept that all people are different. Why then should they function under the same law? And so I joined. Um, the liberty movement. I was. I probably should have joined the anarchist movement a lot earlier. Uh, as you know, I uh, I, I kind of had a conversation with Larkin Rose about that, and I said, well, the most important things that the libertarians have been stressing for centuries, and what I think is most important, is that government is transparent, accountable, and voluntary. And he was like, well, that is that's that's anarchy. Then. <laughs> like that's right. Not, if it's a voluntary government, like it's not. And and I am big and. I still kind of defend my position on the issue only in the sense I've embraced anarchy now, but I defended my minarchist position only because if you read anything earlier than 20, 30, 40 years ago, um, any amount of believing in any hierarchy, including intellectual, I mean, just, just differences of not just income, you know, differences, but like, you know, if there's an intellectual or a social, you know, uh, uh, hierarchy, then. It's it's not anarchy, right? And so like for me, I'm just like, well, I I certainly believe that there's certain actions that you could take that society should view as not good, right? So like there's a social cost that you should pay. I just think those are necessary things. I don't love the idea of hierarchy. I just think that it's a good it's a good way of saying, like, hey, let's incentivize you to do good things. I don't believe in zero-sum economics, so I don't think that the people the lowest on the totem pole has to have to suffer. That's not my goal. My goal is for you to you know, do what you want to do to most succeed. So I became a, kind of an anarchist through that. Um, I've embraced the role. I really love the idea that law is just insufficient. It really fits well with my Christianity, and it's funny that I did not see it earlier, because only since have I kind of run into um, you know, people like Tolstoy and, and the kind of those philosophers that are like, man, it is difficult for you to be a Christian and believe in the state. Yeah. And so I I, I now I, I came to these each of these conclusions separately. I came to libertarianism and anarchy separately than I did from Christianity. But now that they're together. It's just it's a perfect fit. And I'm really uh, yeah. Other than that, met you, have a podcast called Enemy of My Enemy, um it's a great show again on the libertarian we are libertarians network um we we talk and we debate all kinds of different issues we have left right and center libertarians there I absolutely love the entire gamut uh I, I I love most libertarians and I like focusing on what I love and kind of just there are people who are good at dealing with what they hate and can kind of spend the whole day on that realm. And that's just not, that's not something that goes well with my soul. So I just, I kind of stick to conversations with people that I enjoy and that I respect.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's, you know, I remember when I first became a libertarian, I went through kind of like the Austrian economics route. And mm-hmm. um, you know, it's funny when you were talking about, you reminded reminding me of my days back when I was a Bernie Bernie, bro, and you're talking about the democrats sabotaging their candidates. Because yeah, I know, <laughs> I know all about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I kind of watched that happen before my eyes, and I, unfortunately, that wasn't enough of, of a disillusionment to politics. I just right. kind of, you know, was like, all right, we got to we got to ward off Trump because he's a great evil, and then, uh, you know, voted for Hillary reluctantly. Um, then I saw, okay, well, Trump's still bad, but he's not quite as evil and not quite what the left is saying he is. And, um, there's, you know, people talking about Trump in these conservative circles that are pushing economics that are challenging my views. And then I just happened to to find Tom Woods, Dave Smith, and a lot of uh, people who are pushing me towards Mises and Rothbard. And then that was, you know, that was game over at that point, but then I had to go, okay, well, wait a second. All right. I've, I've made this huge political transition, uh does it connect to the bible at all and then I, i've kind of nestled into i mean obviously with this podcast have i've nestled yeah. into a really comfortable position of thinking they're really a a, a match made in heaven i mean no, no pun intended there <laughs> right <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. um yeah. uh Tolstoy's book being the kingdom of heaven is within you and i just think that's such a perfect you know uh you know c- taking the teachings of christ to their consistent conclusions. Yep. You know, loving your neighbor, if you love your neighbor and especially if you love your na- your enemy, um I don't think you can really um be for any type of 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 statism or at least any type of you know, I I know like back when you were having your conversation with Larkin, it's like there's this weird gray area between anarchy and minarchy where like minarchists push what they call like voluntary governance, mm-hmm. which is like the anarchists go, well that's just anarchy, and the minarchists go, well no, that's still a st-. and it gets into like this semantics thing, right? Um, but but you know if if you get the Steel, the The seal of approval from larkin rose i don't think anyone's going to <laughs> argue with him
1: nobody will argue I mean. my anarchist chops after that right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so yeah. um yeah and it's ahead. it's one of those that it's just i understand both sides of the issue so well i think having lived it all having seen it all i have fr- like i actively seek for that challenge you know um i mean you had molyneux talked about on the last episode how kind of kind of the immune system works how it's good to run into other points of view mm-hmm. um and how we should we should seek out those challenges people that have legitimate disagreements with us i know this is something you do particularly well but to just say like you know hey like you see i'm it glad you think so please tell sometimes me how I, you see it right sometimes
0: i'm not sure how well i do it because it's well,
1: a... <laughs> i mean you've got an opinion right like and and the thing yeah. is is that's still that's always going to happen like even when i was doing speech and debate. Mm-hmm. And I was able to argue both sides. I still had an opinion. This isn't like I just like don't believe yeah. in anything anymore. Right. Like I, I still have an opinion on some of these things that I argue. You know, I mean, if we have a capitalism versus socialism, the debate, the nice part about being an adult is I get to choose which side I'm on. You know, when I'm in college, I'm just they, they yeah. give me the sickle and hammer and they say, go make this look good. And I'm like, all right, I hope they I hope they haven't read their history books. But, yeah, let's do this. You know, like, no, I, I don't. Can, so I don't
0: I don't know too much about the, the I did high school speech and debate but I didn't go to mm. college. Is it still like I know in in, in high school it was like Lincoln Douglas and then there was pol- parliamentary and mm, uh, yeah. public forum. Wh- which which Forensics. one did you do like Lincoln Douglas style or was it something different?
1: No, um, so um, I did the general debate circuit and with with this is is I, and me personally and there are de- it's team right so it's a whole team okay. coming together and then you've got you've got the speeches um and i and i did policy analysis so that was mine. Okay. and so then and so they have people doing policy analysis and yep. those guys debate against each other um and that was kind of what i was responsible for of course i wouldn't have done it if we didn't have a whole team put together yeah. you know we all we each get these segments you get so little time i am I, i'm sure as people notice with my stuttering i'm nowhere as good as i used to be that's I, just I know part it's of so. aging right and uh and that's <laughs> okay i'm i'm actually a much better writer than i am even a speaker um you know and i i've published some uh articles and you know various libertarian journals and, and that kind of thing but uh you know whatever people feel like publishing other, if nobody feels like publishing it you just see it on Facebook and Twitter right? so, I, so I, I'm like, okay.
0: I found myself since i've gotten into the podcast game having to go back and like practice those like dumb verbal games that they you would do for warm ups like the uh like we are like we we always do like you would go bop a bop a bop a bop like go through the whole alphabet and Me, just practice a nut yep. yeah and then pra- <laughs> there was all these different sayings and songs you would do but yeah. like i used to be like because like, I practiced it all the time. I used to be such an eloquent, fluid speaker. I, I prided myself on being able to think on my feet and speak without using a lot of ohms and likes. And then I started podcasting and it's like, I haven't flexed those muscles in 10 years. And with a lot more rusty than I I care to admit when I started uh, getting back into it. But um, it's, it's like, slowly getting like back People like you, there. you
1: worry about being so polished. And then you listen to a guy like the most famous political commentator, probably of all time in Rush Limbaugh, who's just a constantly like, ah, uh, mm, uh, you know, it's like he doesn't yeah. even care. So you're like, well, on one hand, I want this to be perfect and be recognized as a professional. and so, And I want to present myself as, Somebody who knows what they're doing. On the other hand, the famous, the most famous speaker on this is like kind of a, a a bumbling. He plays himself as a buffoon. So why am I putting so much work into doing this? Maybe I should just say what I feel like saying and not worry about the ums and ahs. Yeah, that's and true. And,
0: and even yeah. Dave Dave Smith is not, you know, like he's another popular libertarian podcaster, and he's pretty heavy on the likes and the ums. And yeah, I think the content matters a bit more than the, uh, the than the polish. Um, but I don't know. There, there's something about being able to to go on those like say what you want about like i know molyneux is very controversial and we don't you know we can go into that that my uh, conversation with him if you want but one of the things that i think like even the worst critic of him would have to give him is that because of his like he he has like a a theater background so he can go on these long monologues and he just doesn't stop and he's so like energetic and enthused the whole time and and even though like i'm the host of the show i'm just like all right i'm trying to like butt in and steer this thing and it's just like i can't i can't get a word in because it's just you know and that's that's the uh the beauty of of uh if your speech craft is really uh up to snuff is that you can really control the flow of of conversation um so that that's that's uh you know that was uh something that was was challenging when you're trying to host a show and you have a uh I guess that won't uh <laughs> won't let up.
1: <laughs> well, there's nobody to moderate, right? You're in inter- you're yeah. interviewing somebody. So really if you just let them go, it's not like it's not like you have to interrupt, interrupt him to get the other person some time in. You know, it's just, true, true. You know, you and I are probably better at having normal dialogues like humans, but you know, sometimes people need some monologues. I imagine Stefan is, is somebody that um uh, you know, I mean, wildly popular 20 years ago, but I mean if you haven't you know, if you haven't been on the scene for long, you probably haven't heard of him because he's banned from the scene. <laughs> right, so, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a tough one to get a hold of. So yeah, I'm, yeah.
0: Well, and it's like, you know, you, you were talking about how I, I navigate these spaces and, and Molyneux is probably the most, not probably, I think the most controversial person I've had on my show. And, uh, you know, my willingness to engage in conversations with people and explore territories, even if they're unpopular or they're controversial, I think- part of that comes from my speech and debate background because like we were always just encouraged to, you know, you have to prepare both sides of, you know, when you, I don't think most people know this, when you go into a uh, a tournament, every round, you don't know what side you're arguing. Like you have to be prepared to argue both the pro and the con and that can change round to round. So it, you know, I mean, it's like, you have to be, um, and you know, you know, the subjects ahead of time. So you have time to prepare and you have to prepare like a really solid pro case and a really solid con case. And that. Yep. Um, it's, a re- it's a really good intellectual exercise to get you start like being able to uh, consider alternative points of view, and like like you said, you can still have an opinion, but you start to learn the ability to uh, like be, be able to make the opposing argument and steel man it, even if it's not the the, th- the, the position that you necessarily agree with. And I think yeah. it helps a lot to to learn to li- it helps you with listening to people, and ultimately the goal is we we've taken these skills and and I hope that you and I, you know, can use these skills to be persuasive. And part of the, the art of persuasion is first listening to the other side and then being able to steel man their position. Because if someone doesn't feel like you can hear what their position is and then repeat it back to them and, you know, like in your own words articulately and, and it represents their views well, then they're not going to accept your critiques as well. And so I think that's a lot of like when, and that's what I was, this is the stuff I was thinking about when I had Malone on was like, I wanted to spend, and I spent like the first 40 minutes kind of like just easy, like softballs Here's all the stuff we agree on. Then I tried this year, the conversation towards some areas where we disagreed. And I always tried to frame my challenges to him with like a, you know, wrapping them in the like, Hey, here's a firm and where we agree. But then from this agreement, here's where we diverge. And I'm not understanding where you're going. And so I'd ask him to explain it and then push back um i don't know if you did you watch the whole episode yeah i was curious where i thought he kind of was a little bit dodgy with some of the stuff i pushed at him um or and i couldn't tell if it was or i couldn't tell if he just didn't understand what i was doing or if he was being dodgy but i felt like um he uh especially when i tried to connect uh being uh, against closed borders to being against COVID passports. Like to me, I thought that was an effective argument, but I kind of feel like he didn't deal with it.
1: I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, he he just kind of, he he framed it, he reframed it his own way, right? He's yeah. just saying like letting these people in would grow the state, that's a fact. He didn't want to deal with, with the frame of like the, the COVID passport example. Um, I actually really enjoyed that Molyneux episode, by the way. I actually, and I think there's an important lesson to take from it for anybody who's listening to me, who knows me, I pretty much stand for like loving compassion. I'm all about libertarian culture. I know we're going to talk about that here. Um, I am big on like love, compassion, um, healing, you know, that kind of thing. So me and Molyneux just kind of are naturally going to butt heads in in most circles. Like people that like me will probably, you know, not like him, even though I haven't ever, I don't think i publicly said anything about Molyneux. When I came to the movement, he was a non-factor. So like, I don't, I'm not sure if I've ever uttered his name, you know what I mean? Like outside of this podcast or like talking about your show with, with him on it. Right. Um, you know, and, and not to say that's like, I, he's irrelevant. He's unimportant. No, I mean, I've, I've, I've read a couple of his books, like, you know, and I've I've heard a few clips of his radio show. Um, I won't lie. I'm not like a Molyneux expert and I wouldn't pretend to be, I don't want to speak for him, but I think it's important. Like, here's kind of what I want to carry from it is, if you listen to what he had to say about religion like 20, 25 years ago, 15 years ago, and then listen to what he had to say about Christianity on your podcast, look at how the man has changed. I mean, mm. this is somebody you even mention Christianity and laughs in your dumb face, has a lot of names, for, you know what I mean? You're just like, oh my gosh, like this guy's so well, he used to be hostile.
0: incredibly hostile towards Christians. Correct, I mean, yes. Yeah.
1: And was very obviously he is still believes what he believes, but you know, is very engaged. Um, The way he reiterated Christian theology, I didn't have any even asterisks to add to what he said about when he was saying it that way. And that's an important, I think that's an important lesson. And did it take over a decade for him to get there? Yeah. Yeah. Probably, but this is the long game right like we're not we're not overthrowing the state tomorrow so you know we play sure. the long game we talk with people and and we say like you know i'm just planting some seeds eventually those seeds are going to grow i mean it's just especially with people who are thinkers i was really impressed with his ability to think it out um and to to be able to iterate a lot of these doctrines from the christian perspective of how of how we view the state. Not I just wanted to get you know credit credit to him. I'm I'm glad at least he found some ability to redeem himself that way. It's it's very easy to you know I I look at a guy like Richard Dawkins who kind of is, was doing the same thing. Who's just I mean he's a jerk right like and yeah <laughs> you know Eugenius jerk and I'm just like I don't I I could dunk over all over him all day. But there's a chance that in 20 years even if he doesn't like become a Christian, at least he can say like. I was a jerk for saying that they believed in hobgoblins or something, you know, and, and say like, okay, you know, there's probably a way that I can get through to him here. Um, you know, as far as like the areas of disagreement when you're talking about with the, with the dodgy stuff, I mean, I just, there's a, I, individualism is big for me as a libertarian, because I love individuals, right? Like, I think each person should have as much freedom as possible within the grounds of the NAP, right? We don't hurt people. We don't take their stuff under any circumstances, right? And this is kind of what separates me. I know a lot of, I find that here's the thing with like a lot of left libertarians, they look at the NAP and they're just like, well, there are times to violate it. And I'm like, no. And then you get like too far on the right. And they're just like, this is the, like, I, I, anything is okay, as long as it's not hurting people or taking their stuff. And it's like, well, there's still bad ideas that, you can do like they are consensually bad ideas right like and stupid things that you can do and we need to be able to talk about those and i find myself in the middle of those too And again, those are those are far positions. Like those are are kind of extreme. And I find myself in this position where it's like the reason I'm a libertarian is because I love individuals. I want people to have as much freedom as possible, as many rights as possible. You know, and and again, people hear that and like I think if you're from the right, you hear as many rights as possible, and you're like, this guy wants government health care. This guy, well, (laughs) calm down. There's ways to like. As Larry Sharp would say, you know, there's ways to get universal health care without the government doing it, or there's ways to at least try, right? Like, even if you think that there's no possible way it will ever happen and there's no culture that would ever value, you know, medicine that much to, or or education that much to educate everybody. I disagree, but we can at least be allies in the meantime, you know, but but at least that like for me, that's why I love it, because I love bringing those things to individuals and these cultures and, and these societies of what could be to say, like, I do think like I would love to be a part of a society where we take care of each other, where we love each other. I'm certainly not a commune guy, uh, but, you know, like just just certain basis. I mean, this is what insurance is supposed to be right. We all pay in. And if you actually need to take something out you take something out. You know, and if you don't want to be part of insurance, not part of insurance, no big deal. Um, so where it got tricky, where Molyneux gets tricky with, with me is because I'm a, I love individualism. He gets sucked into collectivism, yeah, um, I mean. in the sense of saying like immigrants generally like 51 percent, I believe, is the or 51 to 58 percent of legal immigrants tend to. Uh, be on welfare or on, or on welfare, or, and it's like 63% of illegal immigrants are on some kind of welfare, but it's only 43% of native born citizens that are on welfare. And so therefore, like the state grows when they're not on it. Well, first of all, that's not how non-discretionary spending works. If I'm just to get purely economic with it, there's the pie doesn't grow when more people are on welfare. You just slice the pie into thinner slices. This is what guy, why guys like Bernie Sanders are not have said they're not going to abolish ICE, because this is something that it's like, we need to heavily regulate borders. This is why Hyatt, right left his socialism, because he's like, well, for us to do this, I have to re- heavily regulate my borders. I'm not going to do that because that's unethical, so I'm not going to do it. Um, any Scandinavian country where they talk about these great, robust you know systems right. will take a look at their borders right like this is this is it the one is fatal to the other so the, the idea I, that, I tried
0: to push him on this i was like yeah you know because like to me it was like you're worried about the democrats letting the immigrants flood in really the democrats are just as much as border hawks as the right oh. are it's not totally closed but it's not it's not open by any means it's this weird it, it's very inconsistent even and it's it, our, our immigration system is so stupid i mean it's 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 complicated in ways it shouldn't be it's easy to exploit um but but also easy to get caught and then locked in a cage i mean there's so many problems with it um but but yeah intentionally stupid i mean here's
1: here's (laughs) the problem is these people we give we give too many people a pass because we think they're unintelligent these are not unintelligent people running things they simply have this mindset of how they want the world to work. Like yeah. Barack Obama is not an idiot. That's a that's a dumb argument to make against him. If he does something that appears idiotic, he's got an agenda. He's smart. He's educated, right? So when somebody has put together something as evil as our borders, where we have, you know, I mean, child molesters there, they get reported, and we move them to a different part of the border, right, to monitor the border. That's yeah. not That's not one of those like, oh, I guess I'm dumb. No, that's an evil thing to do, right? Like, you know what you're doing. The point is the terror. The point is the terror and keeping them there. When Joe Biden creates a facility that gets, I mean, worse than the current conditions, and the current conditions are already bad, and his solution is to ban more press coverage from those facilities, he is part of that problem, right? You no longer get to be like, you know, well, I love the, I I want open borders, and that's why I'm so big on Joe
0: Biden. I I couldn't have guessed that. Like, like, I've always thought that Democrats would be still border uh border hawks but they would at least like they would like lighten it up a little bit but it really feels like biden's almost like intensified it if anything i mean it it seems it seems worse um and i think part of that is is the rhetoric for you know years was trump was the 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 big bad border guy Uh and so trump's gone and now people i think you know are like oh well it's safe to try to go across again things should be better but when you're enforcing the same policy and the rate increases, and, and you you are you know censoring press coverage and all that, it's like it 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 was hard to imagine the situation getting you know worse. But somehow it has, and yet it's it's still a struggle to get people to pay attention to it. Um, and then it's uh, you know whether it's the left and trying to have them hold their leaders accountable or the right to get them to just have some empathy. And you know it's like. Um, and I've never heard Molinu have any empathy for those people. Maybe he has, and I just haven't heard it. it. Even someone like you know Dave Smith, who I disagree with, you know, he's not for opening the borders. I am, right. um, but but he even says, well, even though I don't want total open borders right now, uh, I don't want kids locked in cages, and the stuff going on at the border is horrific yeah. and, it, and it's heartbreaking. So I can at least respect his position because he's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't support the authoritarianism. I would rather there be a more humane way of enforcing the border. My thing is just like, yeah, you know, you're kind of trusting, you know, like you're the same people that, that have, uh, you know, for the last 20 years screwed up Afghanistan, you're going to trust them to humanely, you know, regulate a border. Like, I don't, I don't really <laughs> so, think so.
1: <laughs> so, right, right. So the argument is that these people vote for more government, right? Which is what, like, if we have to keep them out, let me take economics out of it just real quick. They vote for more government. So we're going to have the government keep those people who vote for more government out, I don't think so. I mean, actively, the people that they let in tend to be the very people that would vote for them. I mean, this is just look come on now, let's let's not be silly. You know, when you give the government in charge, and let's not give the government any credit here. You know, I find that a lot of the closed border position tends to give the government way too much credit. Yeah. I'm going hard on the borders here. And that's simply because Molyneux addressed it. And I know that it was kind of you yeah, made I it seem so factual, which is why I'm talking about it. You can yeah. be a closed border, like libertarian. Li- not all libertarians are anarchists. If that's your form of government that we need, or if you just think like, hey, you know, we need that in the meantime until we get rid of the welfare state. I can go over the economics of why you're incorrect. Please yeah. read Hayek. I, I, I can, and, feel- it, and it is a disagreement, but. I accept that you're a libertarian, so I don't want to put off anybody who's just true, like, oh, gosh, true. another open hope, border. Crazy.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I yeah. would hope that but, most minarchists could concede that maybe it should be at least something that's a bit more decentralized. Maybe the states have more control over uh, their borders and we're not too overly controlling the national border. Um, I mean, I'd like to think it's possible to, to decentralize and deregulate a bit to make things better. And I'm not... I'm not an all or nothing anarchist. Like I'm okay with incrementalism, but there's some things that I feel like incrementalism can kind of work towards. And you know, we've seen, you know, strides in like the war on drugs. We've seen some yeah. we've started to see some of that sure. with police accountability. Sure. Um it's not like mountains, it's small hills, but it's something. Yeah. Um but it with something like the borders it's just hard to it, it's hard to see them you know, enforcing that in a humanitarian way. I'd love to see it if it's possible. Sure. But, uh, but but, yeah, I'm very skeptical, skeptical, skeptical. God, I can't talk tonight. Very skeptical <laughs> of that being able to to be actuated into fruition. At the same time, though, I'm just as, um, even though I'm like theoretically for open borders, I almost feel like it's impossible. And this was, this was the part where I could agree with Molyneux. I feel like getting the state to actually have a total open borders policy is almost like that's a just unattainable goal. In, in, in the current state that we have now, the current structure, like the incentives are just not there. Um, be,
1: I mean, it would be fatal to the welfare state immediately, right? Like, I mean, it's just, because what would happen is we'd have a lot. And if you think there's an above average amount of immigrants on welfare now, well, the thing is, is we're we're trying to only let the ones in that are on less welfare, that are less likely to use our welfare, right? If we open the borders up, let's not make any any jabs here. The people that are in the most need of help are going to come over, And what's going to happen is that pie where everybody gets a smaller and smaller slice, the more people that are draining it and the less that is put into it. um, They're good. Eventually welfare is just going to be so negligible. You know, here's your $20 check for, you know, monthly. And people are just going to be like, this is, this is a goofball idea. Right. Like, and so ultimately it's, it's fatal to the welfare state. This was the Mises and Hayek conversation. Yeah. Um, And it, it, it can't, it just doesn't coexist. It It is lethal to the welfare state. It, it is,
0: a, but that's why I think they'll never do it. Now, like, if, right, if exactly. theoretically, you yeah, give no me that way. magic. I, I've <laughs> always told people you should push for open borders because, yeah. like, if you got it, I, I agree. I think that, oh, like, it, I always think the idea, like, and the welfare state, then then open the border. Like, no, you have it backwards. If you open the borders, I think that the welfare state would just have to cease to exist. Yeah. I mean, they just wouldn't, the, the money printers, they, they wouldn't have enough money printers to, to, to burr enough of that that stuff out and like they wouldn't be able to you know not there's not enough you know tricks in the book that the the fed could pull to keep inflation from just skyrocketing if they right. if they didn't put some kind of restriction around it um
1: yep and thank you uh, austrians yeah. like that's one of the yeah. greatest contributions uh, uh to them because i think it's one of those that, and I and I love economics. Oh my gosh, I love economics. But it's one of those that I think you get into it, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is why this is why libertarianism is a complete philosophy, you know. Whereas yeah. I think you see the Democrats and the Republicans flip positions on, so often on True. when they're okay with government tyranny, like, and and you just like, wait, I thought you guys were for. Small government. Now you're okay with Ron DeSantis banning, you know, people teaching this and, oh, wait a minute, Democrats, I thought you guys were like, hey, disparate outcomes are racist, but now let's pass this law that, like, disproportionately affects black people and fire them because you know they don't have their vaccine passports it's like well guys like give me some consistency here you know and this is where libertarianism really comes in to save the day not that every every libertarian has to be a like an Austrian economist but that you know at least we understand that that it's never okay you know like the government situation is never all right yeah, you know. I, I
0: guess you don't have to be like a educated Austrian, you know, uh, economically minded person to be a good libertarian. Yeah. I do think that if you take consistent libertarianism and apply to economic principles, it's going to be hard to come up with a different framework than what the Austrian, you know, economic model gives you. Yeah, Um. because yeah, I think and it's like you know, this is where, you know, some people don't like th- this uh, idea that like, you know, the Mises You know, libertarians put out, but I almost think I think it's true. I think that all rights, at the end of the day, at least in the libertarian sense, are property rights, and and that extends to you because, like, of self ownership, um, and and really all property rights uh, stem from self ownership. And this is one of the things I loved about. I know. Uh, you know uh, Hans uh, Herman Hoppe is another controversial figure within libertarian circles but I really like his um, argumentation ethics for the, as a, a kind of like um, intellectual proof of, of property rights just basically being like the minute you start to argue against property rights you are kind of inherently uh, demonstrating the sort of like norms and you kind of conceding to certain like just the the act of arguing kind of concedes the idea that people are self owners and, and from that point, if people are self owners, well then to be consistent, you have to say that they own their labor, which means they own their property. So to argue Uh against property rights is a, is a self-defeating exercise. And, and so I I think that um, now some people don't like that because I guess it's not um, fluffy enough or it's like, it it seems, and I, I was that way too. When someone first put that to me, like all rights are property rights. I said, I don't know. That seems a little bit too shallow. Um, and, and I think that there's, that's a somewhat legitimate criticism, but I think it's, if you're just looking at it from a strictly economic sense and like what I often say is like libertarianism is a, a thin philosophy that describes your relationships between people and, um, what the norms of property rights are and should be. Yeah. And it's, it is, necessary but not sufficient when we're talking about morality um you can be consistent among libertarian principles and uh respecting private property rights but you can still be a bad person you were kind of referencing this earlier where it's like you know this kind of dichotomy between like libertarians who are like well i can do all this stuff because it's not against the non-aggression principle and it's like okay well sure and we're not going to you know, as libertarians say, we're going to legislate your behavior, even if we find it awful, but we can still call it
1: awful. Sure. And you contribute to a culture that makes people say we need a state because this guy's an idiot. You know what I mean? And so then it's like, you are not helpful to me because you are the reason people like call for the state. You know what I mean? And you, you, people are like, well, what about this idiot? If he gets a hold of like, you know, if he gets his freedom, then all of a sudden he's got I mean the whole like you know let's sell children and how much would they go for and have them in my basement and they're not pe- they're property and not people yet and you know Yeah that's that's one of my and, biggest and, uh pushbacks
0: right. against Rothbard is the idea that parents own their children sure. it's like uh, uh, no nope.
1: Can't one, of the, go there. <laughs> one of the greatest things about libertarianism, though, is that it is a buffet. We're able to take what we like and leave what we don't. You know, is and and I think that there are amazing contributions. And I think this is kind of the problem that we have within libertarian circles, as far as conversation goes, right now. We make somebody about all their evils, or make somebody about all their yes. goods, and just pretend like there's nothing in between. Like, there usually the criticisms that some of these guys have are absolutely legitimate. They need to be addressed, and we can even say like, "Yep, you're spot." on there i don't i don't agree with what rothbard says about kids you know what i mean like i get you yeah. know fine that doesn't discredit everything else that rothbard has done right like sure. yeah. the late rothbard sucks and i think everybody kind of knows that but like i mean anatomy of the state like i, I mean that's amazing right yeah. like so like there's yeah. certain things that you could just be like you know what I, and people get so like offended, they get entrenched, you know, when somebody attacks, like, somebody, their hero, somebody that's taught them an awful lot. I can have a respectful disagreement with somebody like Molyneux, because I find that, like, his, his collectivism is bad, but, like, ultimately, the stuff that he says about peaceful parenting is good, the stuff that he says about, you know, government being bad, and, and you know, I, I like his work about anarchy and how it's practical, and we haven't had a lot of functional voices, like, besides, like, um, like, Friedman about, like, what, what, like, hypothesizing what that post-government society would look like. You Mm -hmm. know, there's very few voices. Yeah, say what you want
0: to... What what sucks is the... I don't know why, um, but all the good libertarians that have written good works on, like, how an anarcho-capitalist society would play out or, like, theorizing about it, Mm -hmm. a lot of them have kind of gone down that, like, weird pipeline Molyneux has, like... And Molyneux, like, at least, like, I feel like he didn't take the train the whole way. Like, I feel like he took it down, like, a stop and got off then you have guys like chase rachel's that like took it the whole way to the end like right. Chase rachel's book um i forget what it was called it was like um crap he he wrote a but he wrote a book that was kind of in the same vein of like explaining uh anarcho-capitalist uh or just like just anarchist ways that like society could organize in a in a spontaneous fashion in, right. in a free market and it was yeah. really good and it was before he went off the rails but now because he went off the rails it's like you don't dare recommend that book right, to anybody. Right, <laughs>
1: say
0: it, right? <laughs> L- R- Lou I think it actually was called Spontaneous Order, actually. I think that was the name of the yeah. book. It was Spontaneous Order by Chase Rachels. And <laughs> it's still like, you know, w- once I know somebody is like a good libertarian and it's like, listen, I'm going to let you, I'm like, I have a PDF of it. i like, read this, forget who the author is. Like, the stuff is still good. Just don't like, you know, go look him up and think That anything he says now is right. You almost want to just so. like clip
1: out the author, like and just yeah. like, give them the, the pages of the book. You clip out the bad sections. Mm-hmm. But that's the cool part is like libertarians, we can like this is and this is the great part about individualism, right? Because sure. I can say, like, this is consistent with my philosophy, this is not, and so I'm gonna take this, I'm gonna leave that. You're at a buffet, and somebody can be like the same person who's cooking in the back could have made the the chicken legs and the pizza and the spaghetti but if you ever seen like spaghetti at a buffet and it's like swimming in water and you're just like nah like that's not but that doesn't mean the drumsticks are bad like you know it's like just being like no everything that person has touched I you know I condemn there's certainly an element of when per, when somebody has said enough problematic things that you just kind of need to be like or or maybe one significantly problematic thing that you're just like that is inconsistent with Liberty and I can probably find somebody who says it better. You know, like, like, I think there's moments where where there's somebody who's like, I- I'm going to take what you said, somebody else said it as well or better. And because you're so problematic, I'm just going to kind of write you off. But that's, um. but I mean, that's just a, as far as we it, explain it to yeah. our friends. I mean, it, it's, it, a, it's,
0: it's a balancing act. And like, yeah. there, there's, there's also like, but like one of the motivations I had to talk to Molyneux was like, he still has, you know, now it's not, like a, as much as it probably was, but he still has like a following with like, people that are like, you know, big sure. proponents of, of him and followers of him. And I knew talking to him meant that I could put my, my voice out there to his followers. And I wanted them to, to hear my, hear my perspective. And I wanted to be able to, to have the opportunity to, to talk to Molyneux, to be like, listen, I really value all your stuff over here. Mm-hmm. This stuff. I, I kind of, kind of disagree with what you want. Now I, I, I don't like, and I, I know, you know, you know, um, I don't think you like it either. I don't like when people just go after someone like Molyneux and go, you know, he's a racist, he's a collectivist, don't talk to him. I'm like, well, um, t- to me, there's there's three problems with that. One, He may be both of
1: those things, but there's still a good reason to talk to him, right?
0: <laughs> well, it, and it's like people, you know, it's like people can be something to a certain degree, right? Like, it, yeah. I think it would be incorrect yes. to say Molyneux is 0% racist. I think it would be wrong to say he's 100% racist. Sure. He's somewhere in in that kind of like, you know, mushy middle. I don't, I, I couldn't put an exact number to it. Right. Um, the important thing for me, like where I draw my line is like, if you have some some irrational collectivist or racist ideas, but you're not pushing for like, you know, genocide or, or violence or, and even Molyneux goes as far as to say, well, I condemn racism and you shouldn't, yeah. like he, he, he's a little bit contradictory, with some of the other things he says, but he says, listen, you shouldn't judge individuals by, by group averages or by stereotypes or whatever. And, you know, and he's he strongly come out and said, I condemn white nationalism. I condemn uh, eugenics. So it's like, okay, like, if you're willing to publicly strongly condemn those things, then I'm willing to at least be charitable with you on th- those areas where I like would usually be a little bit like, eh, not sure about that. Um, right. So, so that's, that's part of it. And the other thing is like, if, and we talked about this, uh, and you you brought it up too, it's like, I think when we don't engage those people, we're hurting ourselves because we're not able to effectively help people when they're infatuated with those ideas because we are not sharpening our uh, skill set to be able to talk You know uh, about that kind of stuff. Being able to talk to Molyneux and have that little bit of a spar that we did, I'll be even better and more prepared next time that conversation comes up, whether it's with him or somebody else. And then two, I think it's good for his audience to see somebody push back on him and not push back with the, you're a racist, but push back with like, here's a legitimate argument against your, your view. Like, let's take, like, I'm not offended by you. I'm not being triggered. Uh, I'm validating you as a person, as a libertarian. Okay. Let's get to the heart of the issue. Here's why I think you're wrong. I think it was important for him and his audience to hear that pushback. And I think it's important for, um, all of us to stop treating people like they're not a sum of all of their parts. And if people can have some bad parts to them, but I want to emphasize and encourage the good parts of them while gently discouraging the bad ones. Because I think, but from a Christian standpoint and like a psychological standpoint, that's how you encourage people to grow and change in positive ways.
1: Yeah. You, 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 everybody's a mix of bad and good any you know anytime we try to idolize or demonize somebody there's one there's one god there's one devil and everybody else is in between so you know when we try to to when we get muddy those waters you know and kind of try to try to throw everybody into one camp or the other I mean like do I understand why people think you know and I think it's important to say on both sides like why why do people dislike it I, I think Molyneux finds himself driven to it's tough you know when he interviews people that are like oh you know they they do race science right and there's only you know 16 of them in the world and all 16 of them have been on his show it's going to make people say like i think he has an opinion on this issue you know what i mean like he's kind of interviewed all the ones you know and it's like Well, i had i've had a couple of people that disagree with race science on the show too it's like yeah but you've gone out of your way to find a lot of these you know and and i don't I, and I think if you have an opinion, this is just natural, right? Like if I am a capitalist, if I am Tom Woods, I'm not going to have an equal amount of socialists and capitalists on the show. I mean, it's just, you have an opinion. It, it's what it is, you know? And so I think when you have, you know, the opinion that race science is true, and you do see that these people are oppressed, and this gets into, this is why I brought it up, is because you kind of talked about this this outrage, this, this silence, this, you know, hey, you can't talk about that. The, the, what I like about race science is that we did it, we saw that it was shit science. And then we were like, okay, now we learn. Like that's how science, uh, Molyneux even said it himself. Science is a process. It's not just results. It's the process, right? Like, so what you say is I'm going to assume that these people's brains aren't as developed or that their brains will lead to certain conclusions more than the others, right? And then you put them in the same environments. You see what you get when, you know, when you see similar people in similar environments succeed and it's not based on race. And then you got start testing for this. You know, it, it's, it's that there's a, there's, um,
0: And I think his problem is like an overemphasis on it. Cause I was, cause like, to me, it's like, I don't know, like I'm not a scientist and, and I probably could stand to learn more about like the the race and IQ stuff. I've always thought like, okay, like from an evolutionary uh, analysis, it's like the same forces that led some people to have different color skin, different eye shapes and positions might have had, you know, a slight effect on, on brain, brain chemistry and development. Just like there's some, uh, ethnicities that have a higher rate of illnesses of, of like one type of illness than another. It's like, but like, that's a small drop in the bucket or like just one variable in a multivariable equation. Yep. And I feel like the problem with Molyneux and, and people like him is when there's this um, kind of telling focus on that one variable. And like, if you know, if you want to say, Hey, the variable shouldn't be taboo, it should be at least talked about. Yeah, put sure. in Open discussion. it. Talk about it. Research um, it. Yeah.
1: Everybody listening to me, please research race science right now. It will make you not a racist overnight. Like, please research race science. Do it. Yeah. Sorry. And go to ahead. me, it's like,
0: and it's like I meant to bring this up in the podcast, but didn't get, get a chance to. To me, it's like, you know, his he said his motivation for talking about it is to explain why disparities aren't just caused by uh like capitalism or 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 the market or like yeah. or like the uh, the white patriarchy and all that. It's like I get yeah. that, but there's people like Thomas soul and other people like brilliant thinkers who have come up with ways of explaining away all the disparities that don't rely on, you know, race science. (laughs) So to me, it's like, again, it's it's about, are you looking at this as a, a complex multivariate equation or are you, and I I think it's okay to criticize him and call him out for that focus on it. I just wish I, I, like, I was, I remember when he was going down that stuff, I was like, I wish that somebody would not go after him with that you're a racist and would instead, instead say, I think that your conclusions are wrong. I'd like right. to come onto the show and have a civil discussion, bring you some graphs, bring you some some articles to review ahead of time and talk about why I think the road you're going down is wrong. Right. And that could have, if somebody, if multiple people would have done that years ago who knows maybe he would have not gone down that rabbit hole as much it's hard to say i yeah. I, I just find he's such a mixed bag bad yeah. sorry bag the good is so good and the bad mixed is bad. so bad he's a mixed <laughs> bad right it yeah it's kind of a podium slip there yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it's um it's just like and yeah i get why people are triggered by him but it's just i i had i i reached out i kind mean of like, a little
1: disrespectful right i mean there's there's scientists that are upset about it because oh of sure the science right so so let's, let's, but I mean, continue. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but when I say, I mean, it's just, it's like, if someone's wrong, I just think, okay, like, you know, proclaim and show why, why they're wrong. I don't yeah. think, and, and this is like, we were talking about this in a group chat earlier. I, I don't know. I, the way my brain is wired is right. I, 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 um, and I shared this on my Twitter earlier. It's like, I am very uh, quick to read and listen and yeah. think and I'm very slow to react. It's like, I'm, I'm always like, when someone comes at me with stuff, I'm like, pump the brakes, give me time to digest this, give me time to critically review it. And, you know, I want to give things the most charitable, well thought out, well reasoned, uh, you know, to take, okay. that's people, that's issues. Yep. And, um, I think that social media has incentivized a lot of people to do the opposite of that. Unfortunately, sure. a Look lot what of, we're in a the lot middle of, of right yeah.
1: now with, I mean, COVID, and like if you get to say anything, if you get to even ask a question about anything mm-hmm. in the other, you know, uh, of just alternative medicines or whatever, it's going to get marked as partly false. And this is just saying, like, man, I don't know. Like, if you say, like, I don't know, you're going to anger everybody, and there's no good place for you to go. Yeah. Molyneux said himself, I'm not a scientist. So this is why I asked other scientists. Now, my opinion with Molyneux is, I don't think, I think it's less about the racism and more so he saw. So, you know these certain scientists getting banned or you know sequestered or, or you know punished for their studies and was like hey like i want to hear what they have to say and you pushing back against them is going to make me study them more you said that's even why you had him on the show on your show because people are so against him it pushed you into wanting to talk to him right and so like you know I, and i kind of feel that that's what led him down that kind of dark path was being like these people are getting suppressed and i don't like that we can think that there's a truth in the universe, but the way that truth comes out is not by force. It is by voluntary solutions. We, mm. as Christians, talk about Christ being there's no king but Christ, and Christ himself didn't pick up his crown, so there was right. no king, right? Like so, so why then, you know, why then are we going to try to use this this leverage of force against somebody else? Uh, I've used the example before, but like the the example of Zacchaeus, it's not somebody, it's like you tax collecting Mm. SOB. No, I'm going to hang out with you. I'm going to spend time with you. I don't even have to condemn your bad ideas, but by the time you are done hanging out with me, you're going to change. And Zacchaeus sure enough was like, I got to refund these people's money and I got to make up for it. Like, that's what I'm going to do by, because I was a tax collector. And I mean, Daryl Davis, great example. What is it you do? You walk into the lion's den I mean how many times does this happen in the Bible right we walk into lions dens the lions have their mouths zip shut because they can't do anything to us right and I think this is the this is where the christianity meets the anarchy in me is that I think that that is the path forward for christians and for anarchists is that we we use this power of truth this power of freedom of speech to have better speech to have superior yes. ideas and let those win if it, is a, if it is a fair fight and the state is not interfering, I, I, my true belief is that a lot of these anarchist ideas will end up winning the day. Because oh, yeah. libertarianism yeah. is for dreamers. I mean, it's there's no, when we talk about no rules, right? Like you can make a set of rules and other people can voluntarily be part of that if you feel that there are certain sets of rules that work. Capitalism is a great example. There's six pillars of capitalism that people follow that I think are all fantastic rules. But if you don't want a part of it, Don't be part of it, right? Like get out of there and say like, no, I want, you know what? I don't really like the idea of people. Let me try to think of the most offensive one. Oh, that people are allowed to accumulate wealth. There you go. Um, And so I'm going to try to invent a society where I don't, you know what? Liberty's for you. Dream it, make it happen. If people don't join it. I I mean, I guess I'll say I told you so then, but at least we (laughs) can be allies until that point, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. And it's, um, you know it, it, and, and yeah i mean i think to to put a bow in, in, the, in the Molyneux talk cause i don't want to talk about him for the next you know right. <laughs> hour yeah. or so but it it's it's um you know it, it was a it was a calculated decision to talk to him i knew that there was pros and cons my hope is that at the end of the day that uh i promoted the good i hope that my cha- i don't think he really dealt with my challenges but i hope that at least people who are persuaded by his arguments will hear my arguments And, you know, I think my arguments were valid. I hope they get people who who think about that stuff to be thinking. And, you know, this is a a good segue into, you know, like we we talked about this uh, when you were on my show last, um, this idea of like internal versus external uh, regulations. And I wanted to get into that because I think we both agree, you know, like, you know, as as libertarians, as those who reject statism um, and And whatnot. We believe you you talked about this. What you said in the last show was because we reject the idea of external regulations, like applying force and coercion on people to get them to do what we want. And and I think that's also what Jesus taught us. Like um, one of my favorite passages is Mark 10 42, where Jesus talks about how he's he's telling his apostles listen, the Gentiles, they like to uh, be archists over one another. They like to lord over each other, brag about how much power they have and wealth. It will not be that way among you. And Jesus taught about how being a leader was not about power, but about being a servant. Um, so uh where this brings us to then is like so we reject external coercion and 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 force. Um and even even Jesus rejected political power. The way you put it was he 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 didn't even take up the crown like the Jews wanted him to. So then we're looking at internal regulations. And I feel like our country is struggling with this idea and the Liberty movement too, is struggling with this idea, which is like, what does accountability and internal regulations look like? And I feel there's a lot to learn from the, uh, the Bible specifically like from books like Galatians and stuff about how we should hold one another accountable and how we should, uh, you know, impact the culture. I wanted to get more into that conversation that we started on last time about how like both as Christians and libertarians, how should we engage the culture and and what does that look like as far as you know, uh, just the various things going on in our country, and 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 in and also you know I mean, you know even more importantly I think within the liberty movement like if we want the liberty movement to be successful, we got to get this this infighting and all this crap going on under control, and it seems a lot of the division in the movement and the party right now is centered around like. Uh, just differences in culture and it's like we're yeah. we're we're all kind of rejecting the culture of the state but we have different ideas about what the culture of liberty should look like and um, I'm trying to figure out you know how we can start to reconcile that and come to a common a common culture and a common like ethos to to to, to build upon where we're no longer fighting so um, wanted yeah. to get your thoughts on that
1: um Love is is uh, primary. I know we had that Dave Smith quote that says like any revolution based on love just isn't going to succeed. If you don't love the people you're fighting for, how, like even if you say like, I will technically fight for you, how hard are you going to fight, right? Like not, sure. there, There's morale is a thing, right? So when we talk about when I'm going to stand shoulder to shoulder with somebody and I don't particularly like the guy next to me, that's hurting morale, right? And a lot of people's solutions to this are exile. And this is the opposite of kind of what I wanna do. What I wanted to do was the Jesus example where you take somebody in and inundate them with these things. There's a lot of calls for outrage and it's not, and and I'm gonna hammer both sides on this because here's the thing, the outrage happens because of that lack of internal like regulation that we have sometimes. And that there's oftentimes even an, an urge to defend somebody for saying something that is particularly off-putting, or poor messaging, or even just bad liberty, right? Like, to say, like, no, I love this, like, this is, you know, like, and then you're just like, okay, why though? Like, because he's your homie? Or, like, you guys just got each other's backs? Because then how does that look to everybody else, you know? But, like, at the same time, what the call is, is it's for outrage and exile. And it's almost like there's never enough. Like, so what you'll do is you'll repudiate what the person says, and they'll be like, no, I want them kicked out or you'll kick them out and then they'll say I also want you to condemn this guy who said something similar. And you're just like there like when you start pulling it, the thread one way or another the whole sweater is going to unravel. And mm. there is a way of dealing with these things. The in almost the entire New Testament is letters from Pauls dealing with this kind of thing because yeah. every church was dealing with some kind of different cultural issue. Now, what I love about liberty is the same the same medicine I would prescribe the entire world is the same medicine I would prescribe to the problem that we have now, because what we, what our temptation is to do is to make laws like rules. We try to follow these rules of order or this there there's decorum or there is, um, you know, there is, did you, uh, oh, is it the nap or is it, let's try to, and we try to make these rules for ourselves. Like, let's just say if it's racist, then it gets thrown out. Or if it's collectivist, it gets thrown out. Or if it's socialist, it gets thrown out. Or if it's this, and, and really what we have to do is we have to take these on individual bases, and use our conscience that were given to us. This happens in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that there is a condemnation of of the rule of law because what it does is it forbids people from doing the right thing. Um, you can see with the, the spy in Jericho where it's like, man, you helped us. And they're like, so do we kill her? Cause that's what the law says. And God's like, what? then why did you make that stupid law? Like, is that what your heart tells you to do to kill, kill the people who helped you? Like, no. Okay. Then maybe go with that. Right. Like this is, this is, I, I made you in my image. Like you have within you, The powers of a deity, if you just unshackle yourself and what you, what we keep doing is we get caught up in these laws. The reason we make laws is because it helps us create an even playing ground. Like when we're playing football, you know, we say like we all agree to the same rules. Okay, we can have a football game. Our worry is that if we don't make a whole bunch of laws that we can no longer get along together that we're not able to communicate anymore that we're not able to participate in basically the same game anymore but that's really not the case because i think if both people are leading with a strong sense of common sense and a, con- a strong sense of conscience that we can kind of deal with this because i believe that the people who are truly unconscionable that are terrible they aren't going to work you know in a free market like it, you know and, and it's not that we need rules to to get these people out of here Ultimately, their beliefs are going to isolate themselves. You know, a um, lot of works about the Civil Rights Act talking about how, like, businesses were ending racist practices before it came along. It was on that pace. I understand there's some controversy around the Civil Rights Act itself, but like, we what we can just say is we say that these are kind of things where it's like businesses are like, so I get less people if I discriminate, then I'm not going to discriminate. And I think that there's things that would happen socially with that too, and I think that there's solution on top of just rejecting laws is also recognizing that God is love. And we talk to each other lovingly. We put love at the forefront, especially as Christians, there is no excuse. God is love. So if what you are doing, if you catch yourself saying something, I do this all the time. No judgment from me. I understand but If you catch yourself saying something that is not spoken out of love, then it is not from God. And you should not be doing it. And I feel that this would create such a great culture shift because you look at Jesus constantly talking with people that are not of his fold all the time Never. and bringing people into his fold. And that's what we need to start doing as libertarians when we focus on that culture When we say like, hey, I recognize that you don't think you're part of our fold and you're participating in these and these and these behaviors maybe try these out, maybe hang with me and my homies for a bit. And I think you're going to change, right? Like this is going to be a different situation when you're done with it. I, and I, and for me, I think I just, I see a lot of people not eager to lead with love because what they do is they see something and they're eager to defend it because they don't want to think about what somebody else feels about it. They're not acting with love towards them or they're eager to condemn it because they're not thinking about the love, the love or compassion towards the person who spoke it. And, and it's a mess and it's always going to be a mess because we're all humans, right? Sure. <laughs> but yeah. when we navigate the mess, what we can show people is what we should be showing people, especially as Christians, is how to communicate with a superior the way the, in the way that Christ spoke, right? And I'm already stuttering enough that Christ, I'm sure, would be like, "Yeah, superior speaking, right?" But <laughs> you know, at least at least take in some of the principles and say, like, "Hey, there's there's a good way to talk to somebody that makes them feel more welcome, and makes them realize that what they're doing needs to change, even if it's not outright condemnation." Um, you still deal with it, right? Like you still deal with Zacchaeus. This is not, yay, Zacchaeus, go Zacchaeus, tax collector's sure, awesome yeah. now, right? But this is still like, but it's also not Zacchaeus, get the frick out of the city. Everybody throw a stick at Zacchaeus. Yeah. Right? This is let's work on this by getting him surrounded with a culture. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about one more thing and I'm gonna let you cut loose for a while because I've I've gone on. Uh Caesar Milan, whenever there's a dog that really, really, really has a lot of trouble, uh he brings the dog over to his to his other dogs and that's how the dog gets fixed because that culture among his dogs mm. is superior to the culture that that dog had before and that dog's one little, like you know tough life wicked ways whatever you want to call it of the dog end up getting ironed out right and so and i think that that's a great solution because what that is and what that shows us is that discipline it's might be our first step but if that doesn't work Culture is the better solution for these dogs, right? Discipline is what we usually try first, right? Because it's easier. But culture is the superior solution when we're like, man, discipline didn't work. Yelling at them didn't work. Robbing them of of, um, friendships didn't work cutting them off of social media didn't work you know what do we do introduce them to a culture that's actually helpful and actually like healing and then that's when the the dogs kind of go like oh this is good and, and humans behave much the same way that we're like oh this is what it's like to be part of a healthy environment i don't want to disrupt this how do i become a part of it and they kind of start to adopt the lifestyle
0: yeah so there's a lot there we try to yeah. Go go back and and kind of tackle things in in order. Um, Take your time. I won't interrupt. That's yeah. <laughs> fine. Um, so the uh, the first thing I wanted to to touch on in, in that um, you you were talking about the uh, when when uh, you kind of make a, a reference to me- to to messaging when somebody says something and it's either like it's off ki- color or it's like eh, we don't think that this is even if it's not like. I don't know. In bad taste, it's like you're you're putting uh, a message out there. Like we can use like New Hampshire as a common example, where it's like even even like a tweet. Like they had some tweets that were like, okay, you're making a kind of edge lordy kind of like you know uh, uh, shit posting kind of message, and we don't want to really attract that. Then there's like the uh, the child labor tweet, which was phrased a bit more like not as offensively, but it's talking about a topic in a way that's like, okay, well, that? the first thing we want to talk about. And, um, that the, the New Hampshire was a, uh, is often a, 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 affiliate. We go back and talk about a lot because it, it, it's something people know about and it's good to bounce these ideas off of yeah. uh, those examples. Um, my, uh, gut, my reaction to, to to New Hampshire and to bad messaging messaging in general. And I think that at times the New Hampshire messaging was, was, was bad, but, my problem with the response I saw, I saw from a lot of the party in the movement was immediately calling for heads. And, um, and also not, I think not understanding kind of like human, like basic human psychology, kind of like we talked about earlier. Like to me, it's like people aren't going to change because you come at them and attack them. And, and actually when when people get attacked, they get defensive. They kind of like, you know, they, they, they put their guard up, they kind of like a turtle, they get more into their shell, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I think you, you're bringing biblical references up like, like, like uh, Zacchaeus. And I think that's, that's wonderful. And I think the Bible teaches this. I think psychology teaches us too. And, and it's um, there, there's, you know, psychologists have written on the, the art of how people uh, have their mind changed. And a lot of it is what you talk about. It's about being surrounded with a culture of people that puts them into the right Frame of mind to where they can have like they're they're willing to have their mind changed. And so that's like that's half the battle is getting somebody to that point where they're willing to have their mind changed. Yeah, um but when somebody does something we disapprove of, I feel like, yes, we need internal regulations. But I feel like a lot of time people are trying to model their internal regulations off of the state. And it's like, They're internal regulations that are poor copies of what the state used to do, which is like, we're going to attack people. We're going to punish people. Kind of like discipline, what you talked about. But Mm -hmm. to me, it's a warped um, understanding of discipline. Like um, one of the things that my prior guest is good on is peaceful parenting. And one of the the things that Christians will often point to is like, well, the Bible says, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. It's like, well, again, it's the rod of discipline. But what is the biblical um, and even more like what is what is the jesus-centric and consistent uh, view on discipline? And I think the, the the message that that Jesus taught on on discipline was not kind of like force and attacking people and it, at the same time it wasn't just condoning their behavior and saying, hey everything everything goes do whatever the heck you want like Jesus did confront people and challenge them on their sin, but it's about how you do it. And the goal shouldn't be to make the person feel as bad as possible, and to uh, you know beat them up for how bad their mistakes were, but instead to, in a lovingly in in a, in a loving fashion and, and a humble fashion too, to be like you know not on some kind of high horse like you know like and, and like what you said, it's like hey I've I've made these mistakes too. There are times that I screw up, and we have to approach our our you know our brothers and sisters with, with humility to be like, listen, I'm, I'm a fallen son of Adam or, or Eve, just like you are? And I'm I'm not any better than you. And, and Christ died for, for you as much as he died for me. So this isn't about, uh, you know, judgment or condemnation or me thinking I'm better than you. This is just me trying to help you. And I feel like Christians are always struggling with this. And it's like, it, it's mirroring what libertarians are struggling with too, which is like, we recognize when like the errors that are made, but, um, sin is bad not just because, like God says, okay, the murder is bad because it's just bad. Like it's just an assertion. It's bad because it's not even just bad because you're initiating aggression. It's bad because it's bad for your soul. Because when you hurt somebody or when you sin, you're you're actually the person you're hurting the most is yourself. And and so Christians are, have oftentimes fallen short of uh you know approaching people in the way that Jesus did which was like you know i i think this was demonstrated with um when he said like let he who had without sin cast the the first stone when he was um uh like stepping in between the uh the the mob and the uh prostitute and like he stood up for her he loved her but then he also told told her to go and sin no more so there's there's this dichotomy of loving people and affirming them as a person and then providing gentle correction that comes after we've, uh, affirmed them and, and, and and reassured them that like, we're on the same team and I'm for you, I'm coming to you, not in a, I'm coming down hard on you and trying to dominate you or trying to control you. I'm trying to help you. I'm looking out for your well being, And I'm also like, we're on the same team fighting for Liberty. And I don't think what you're doing is beneficial to that. Um, at the same time sometimes those efforts are going to fail well then i think we have to look at this through the view of the market and if i don't like the way that amazon is running their business my boy, like boycotting and protesting them is legitimate like you're allowed to do it but this is kind of like what we were talking about earlier and the bible even talks about this like when paul says uh, everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial so just because boycotting and protesting are allowed and they might sometimes be necessary in a in a market setting, but I feel like those are last resorts and for certain situations. I don't think those should be our primary tools in our tool belt. Like they should be the, the not things we're pulling out every time. Um, I think the the solution to bad messaging ultimately is just good messaging, which is like crowd out the bad ideas with the good ideas. And um uh, for one, when you attack the bad ideas you 're actually promoting them more, like you 're getting them more exposure, especially with the way social media works when people, uh, when people ratio a tweet, <laughs> even if it 's like okay, the, the ratios were bad, but now everyone 's seen it. whereas if it was bad and you just went i don 't like that i 'm going to go put out something better that 's competition and market forces at work yeah. that like, and you know when there 's people that put out those bad tweets, they don 't get any reaction on it. they go, oh, "I guess that sucked." that's probably not the way to go. When they get all that negative reaction to it, some people say, oh, why don't they they change their behavior? Well, they they might be looking at it incorrectly. They just look at, oh, look at how, look at how many reactions total I got. I got a lot of exposure. So it's just a win. And it's like, well, you are not looking at the whole situation and like you had a lot of exposure, but a lot of it wasn't that great. But then also I think that uh, part of the problem is that the way human psychology works and even the way that sin works is that um, when people uh get come at you and, and you get attacked, there's a bit of a dopamine rush and a bit of a response to that. And and this is like we were talking about this earlier in a group chat where I was like, um, some people, it's like when you give them that negative attention, they actually feed off that. And that fuels them to keep doing what they're doing because they think, oh, well, if I'm upsetting people, I must be doing something right. It's a faulty way to view the world, but it's kind of like you're trying to fight fire with fire and you're just going to make more fire. (laughs) Um, At some point it's like, how do you, how do you put out a fire? You cut off the oxygen. And I think that's how you have to deal with a lot of, if you see something bad on social media, oftentimes the best thing is to ignore it and let that person just kind of like in a market, if you put out a bad product, like no one needs to go and protest your bad product. You'll get the market correction of no one buying your product. And when no one buys your product, it's like, Oh, cool. Well, this is a bad product, I guess I guess I need to go and come up with a better product yeah um, th- th- that's kind of where, where where I'm coming from
1: yeah it's, it's, you establish a lot of validity with yourself one of the tactics that I've had we've talked about this before as well is I'll look and I'll find some if i if somebody says something I disagree with and odds are they've got popular for saying it because that's what happens right like you you struck a match people pour gasoline all over it. Now it's out of control. And now it's just this really, really bad negative thing. New Hampshire is a great example of this. Um, Because actually what's funny is they had the child labor tweet that went bad. And 24 hours earlier, I think, they had a they had a tweet that went great because what it was, it was about child labor. And it was this story about this girl who worked in a flower shop who, you know, is getting punished by these child labor laws and it's totally voluntarily. And she's trying to help her family through it. like, like, not like this, this is an innocent victim that the state is punishing. Great right. traction on that. Lots of great shares. lots of, Like it, it got a lot, you know, and then less than 24 hours after they obviously had the other one that didn't do so well. Um, But well, I guess, It did well as far as views, uh, did not do well so far as like, you know, and and so it's like when it comes to creating traction, there's a good traction and a bad traction, right? Like I understand, like, sometimes you feel you need to troll, but the funny thing is like you succeeded. Like we actually had one where I was like, nice, like this actually got a lot of attention. And then this other one comes in later and it's like, this one got about the same amount of attention, but unfortunately it's all bad. Um... It, it, it's tough. And this is kind of why I, I reject the rule of law on this. Cause he said like, what's the stage where we suffocate it out? Because that's how I like to deal with it as well. That's my primary thing. Yeah. If, if somebody says something bad, cut it off, re- give it no fuel, give it no fire, give it nothing. And you know, hopefully it dies off. The problem is when there's other people that are actively adding gasoline to it. And that's usually when I have to get involved and I'm like, guys, here's why this is bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like when Fox news picks up the new Hampshire tweet, then it's like, okay, I have to say something. you know what I mean? Like like, at at
0: that point. Yeah. At that point it it already grown. But I think like my, my challenge to people was like, it wouldn't have gotten to Fox news if it hadn't been first. So heavily ratioed by, and like Twitter doesn't care. Like, if something oh, yeah. has a lot of bad interactions, it's still gonna get seen by it's a lot of people, yeah. so it, you know what I mean? so it's like to me, it's like you're not helping our I feel like some people I, I talk every episode. i I bring up my my two favorite words. It's all about time preference. And mm-hmm. it's like what what's the the right way to react to it? Well, if you're only looking at it in like this tiny hyper bubble where you think everything that happens in the next twenty four hours is the most important. You might feel like I have to comment on this and tell them why they're so wrong and why this is so bad. But if you look at it over the long haul, it's like, all right, well, maybe that is actually going to create a bad incentive structure that's going to uh, create more bad messaging and more tensions. And, you know, you know, there, there have been times where libertarian Twitter or social media or candidates have said things that I think are bad. And there's, I can go back to Gary Johnson and, and, and Bill Weld and things that they said that were bad, or even Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen, times that I would criticize them, although I was much happier with Joe and Spike than I was Carrie and Bill. Um, but at the same time, what I hear a lot more from people when they are rejecting the Libertarian Party or the movement is not like, there's one time there's, there was this Libertarian platform or person that said something that really upset me. A lot of times it's like the party is a joke all they do is fight each other or they're just not convinced. Like a lot of times what we think is a big deal, the rest of the world has forgotten. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like it's one of those things where like it was a story one day, but then like a week later, it's like, they don't even remember. And, but what they do remember is that, well, I just don't believe in their ideas. I don't think their ideas work. And so the more time we spend just attacking each other and ripping into each other is less like, again, like which brings us back to uh, Austrian economics again, like, um, Time is a scarce resource. Energy is a scarce resource. Uh, social media activism is a scarce resource. Even it seems infinite sometimes, but you know what you choose to uh, promote and what you choose to engage in, like you know, those are the sows that you are, the, the seeds that you're sowing, and you're going to reap from that. So, should we be putting our time into attacking or building? And I feel like if you're looking at this from a libertarian. Uh, Austrian uh, perspective like an economic perspective the best thing to do is to build your own brand and to build the best product possible to succeed and less time shitting on your competition because not everyone likes that sometimes people just like oh i don't like I don't like this competitive. I don't like this business because all they do is bad mouth the competition. They could have an objectively better product than the competition, but sometimes that rubs people the wrong way when it's like, I just don't think it's a good taste that they're always, you know, like I'm very careful in my line of work. People come in and even if they're complaining about an experience they've had at another shop, I don't badmouth that shop or the people. And I always try to be charitable, uh, try to just like redirect the conversation. It's just not, it's, you know, um, it's not in good taste to, to, you know, it's not a good prof- professional business habit to talk bad in your, your, your competitors. But I feel like that should be something that we, I, I want to see libertarians and this isn't a factional thing. This is errors made by people in all over the libertarian spheres, whether they're in the politics or not yeah. to be people that spend way too much time attacking what they don't like and not just building up uh, their own brand and their own services. Like to me, uh, the beautiful thing about economics is the division of labor. So, uh, you know, the libertarian minded people that feel like, uh, hey, the LP isn't the best route. We need to engage in agorism. Cool. Go go be the best agorists you can be and build those uh, networks of counter economics and, and, and encourage people in your local community to, to do that stuff and use it as a means of activism. Great. But yeah. when you spend half your time doing that and half your time shitting on people who have decided i would rather be involved in politics you're not only not helping the movement in terms of like the way it looks you're also hurting your efforts in building a better you know a- agorist a- um, activism same thing goes within the party where there's people that criticize like the mises caucus that i'm in it's like okay maybe the mises caucus is doing it wrong i would encourage you to go do it better than us and just outcompete us outwork us and then like you know two years from now it's like hey the, these people, they, they raise more money than us, they've got more candidates elected than us, they've affected more change in the culture and the movement. Our numbers are dropping. We've lost. To me, that is that is infinitely better than you're not doing anything positive, but what you're doing is uh, you know, just endlessly attacking and and complaining about what other people do. Um, and you know, and there's even times I have to tell my Mises caucus associates to be like, hey, other people in the party in the movement. They don't have to do what we do. And we have to respect that. You know what I mean? If somebody says, I don't, you know, care about messaging so much, my, I, like, I think there should be a, um, a prag, a pragmatic caucus. I think there should be a caucus that says we stay out of messaging. We stay out of ideology and we just focus on how do you win an election? And we focus on getting, making sure that we focus on ballot access. We focus on all the nitty gritty details. And that's our niche. That's our part. That's our, our contribution to the marketplace. Right. Like libertarian activism is a marketplace and we I think we need to start viewing it that way.
1: I mean you you've talked about its division of labor before. I've we've had a dialogue about this that it you know, you just be good business partners with the people that you do that aren't necessarily in your line of work. Let's yeah. talk about it this way. Let's pretend I'm I'm trying to get people to be eat healthier, right? Do I want to spend all of my time if I open a store, right? And I sell salads okay and i'm just a big salad store do i want to spend 90% of my effort crapping all over the 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 people down the street who sell vitamins or do i want to spend 90% of my time crapping all over the big burger joint next door you see what i'm saying like there, yeah. there is a totally like it, there's a loss of perspective there for a lot of people now peacemaking goes two ways right because if we're talking about being the peacemaker First, yeah, you gotta try to not view everything as a fight. You have to say, you have to be delivered a fight and say, how can I make peace out of this? How am I gonna do it? Right. Because what happens is we we show up late almost all the time, right? Like most of the time, like by the time a bad tweet reaches our eyeballs, it's a fight. It's a mess. And so what peacemakers exactly. do is they say, how can I look at this and make peace? Now, majority of the time, people don't care about peacemaking because they don't have a Christian mindset about it. They they want to conquer. They want to say they take out their sword. They try to strike down one yeah. of the sides, and they say like, "Yes, I killed that side because you know I own the libs or I you know those you know rhino cucks or whatever. I I, I nailed them." And it's like, okay, well that's not what peacemaking is all about, right? So you need to be able to see a fight and stop it. The other part of it is you need to see a fight developing and stop it. When you talked earlier about um, time preference, time investment, um, usually by the time A bad tweet reaches our eyeballs or our fingertips. It's too late. That fight's gone. It's out there. There's not much we can do about it, and it sucks. But what we can do is we can see people that are going down this path and be like, hey, man, like – can I talk to you with this real quick? And what you got to do is you got to invest in that person beforehand, identify areas of similarity, identify yourself as a friend, become that person they go side to side with, and then be like, Hey man, I just heard you talk about how like black people aren't as smart as white people. And that's just science. Can we talk about that real quick? Because what's going to happen is they're going to say that. And, you know, maybe the first few couple times they hint at it or throw it out there, it doesn't get much traction. But you as a friend need to be able to pick that up and be like, hey, let me show you some, like, science on this so we can really, like, nip that in the bud, right? Or I can see, like, when you say stuff like this. Maybe you're, what you're even saying is technically correct, but can I show you the other point of view? Because this is communication, right? When you talk about steel manning earlier, being able to phrase what the other side is going to see. what somebody oh, yeah. who is of not your opinion, you need to be able to phrase your opinion better than them. That is the If you want to win every argument for the rest of your life, do nothing more than that. Put, your, put the argument that you have. It's there. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, put a lid on it. Hold that to the side engage in the person fully encompass their argument and then be able to say so what I understand is this and whatever comes out of your mouth needs to be phrased even better than the way that they would say it because as soon as you do that that kind of enables you to smack it down because what you do is it's like a set in volleyball right like to say like I'm I'm setting myself up if I'm constantly badgering you I'm I'm putting it back over the net immediately Right. If I'm if, in volleyball, if I'm just constantly hitting the ball back over the net, that's bad. Right. Because what you want to do is set yourself up in the best situation possible. So when you say like, hey, do I understand your argument like this? I, I hear you're voting for Trump or Biden. Do I understand that the reason you're voting for him is this, this and this? You know, like and, and whatever it may be. Right. So you phrase it. You got it that certain way. And then you say, like, and when they say, yeah, that's exactly how I feel, you go, okay, you set yourself up perfectly, because what you just did is you now know the argument, because you said it, and they're like, yeah, that's exactly it, and that enables you to spike the ball. That's when you get a real good hit over the net, as opposed to, we're, we're, we're constantly doing these bumps over the net, right? Like back to you, back to you, back to you. They're uneventful and they're boring. If you really want to w- win every argument for the rest of your life, you steal me on the other person's point of view, you let them know, you understand, and then you really set yourself up to succeed. Um, and so I, I think what, what that is, is that enables, that, that that is a practice of befriending somebody. And this is a long-term goal this is why i talked about the time preference of it what we're constantly doing is very reactionary most people who play the market lose why do they lose because they they sell low and they buy high (laughs) and and so what we do is we see this big fight on twitter and we join the fracas and we're like that's too late you missed it the time to buy in on that argument was yesterday was 15 hours ago heck Sometimes it's 10 years ago with that friend who you had, who has now gone down this really scummy, bad messaging path, right? Like that was your opportunity, but look around today. Remember this lesson, because what happened is that could have been prevented 10 years ago. How many friends do you have today where you say, I know this guy. I'm friends with this guy. I'm concerned about the direction he's heading. Well, don't shut up about it. If you're his friend and he trusts you, talk to her, talk to him, you know, like whoever it is, just be like, Hey, like, Here's our areas of agreement. I think you're a pal. I really respect what you have to think. I really respect your perspective. If I understand your perspective, can I offer you a counter perspective? I think you might find it more successful. And it just works better. It works better that it works way. way more, I yeah. mean, it brings yeah. more people to liberty. It, it's we're, we're always buying late on these things. And it's, it's constantly, people are addicted to the fire, right? Like this is just, when something's on fire and I get it. Right. Like, because I mean, it's spicy when you see somebody call like Timothy McVeigh, a hero, you're like, ah, you know, like that's a, that's a fiery hot mess, you know? And you just want to like, throw yourself in there and be like, this is a mess, you know, but like, when was the right time to get to him before he said Timothy McVeigh or Ted Kaczynski was a hero? It was five years ago. It was 10 years ago. It was two years
0: ago. Not a a, a fan of that tweet. If people know the tweet that Hody's uh, (laughs) talking about. Um, And and at the same time, it's like, okay, um, we could all gang up on him and attack him and tell him, "Well, that's the dumbest thing. It's offensive. What are you doing? And I guarantee it wouldn't be productive at all. Whereas I feel like if people didn't engage with him too much on Twitter, but people who know him, kind of said hey let's get together let's let's grab a beer let's talk let's, yeah. let's get on a zoom call or right. something and be like you know i'm always asking people like i had a conversation with a good friend today who got into a skirmish on twitter and 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 i was and then he was like we were going out a bit on twitter then let's say hey, let's talk on the phone and i was just like all right what were what were your goals here like like what were you trying to accomplish yeah i asked him i asked him that yes. i was like all right so then you were trying to accomplish this because of these reasons. And so you thought by doing this, you would achieve this outcome. You thought that this would, this would get your point across. It's like, all right, I see where you're coming from. I see what your thought process was. Let me explain to you how I perceived it, how I think a lot of other people perceived it. And here's the words that you used that I think were, were that, that led to, to this misunderstanding and then all this ensuing infighting. Whereas alternatively, I gave them like a different way to phrase the same thing. That, you, you know, like still got his point across still was like, you're like, if your goal was this, you could have said it this way and still accomplished the goal. But instead of an ensuing right. fight breaking out, people would have heard you in positive dialogue and discourse could have happened instead of the typical, you know, you know, hours of people tweeting at each other and then blocking each other. And then they don't talk to each other anymore. And then we all get stuck inside these echo chambers. And, you know, that's one thing, you know, and I know you know this, like I almost... Um, you know, <laughs> it's almost like part of my personality, it, you know, like it, and it's, it's um not ironic that I'm for open borders because I'm in my personality. I'm very anti borders. I'm very anti when people try to box me in. I've had this happen in Christian spheres. Like you can't associate or talk with these types of people. I know there's people in the Christian uh, community who would even probably give me a little bit of grief for, for talking to you when you're a Mormon. And it's just like, you know what i mean like and and to me that's silly um like you know it's and then there's people that give me grief because i'm in the Mises caucus and i associate with some people who aren't big fans of the Mises caucus uh and then i get of course but because i'm in the Mises caucus then there's just people that reflexively give me crap about that and you know i haven't always there's all these tensions and i haven't always navigated them perfectly and i'll be the first to admit that but i'm always just pushing back against the uh the people who are saying you need to pick a side, embrace the echo chamber, and just tunnel inward, and it's just like I, I won't do that because I don't think that that um, is modeling the Christ-like um, teaching to be a peacemaker, to 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 build those bridges. And to, to be fair, it can be really, really hard to build the bridges with the really to- toxic ones, and. You know, I did get to a point over the last two months where I got tired of turning my cheek and my, my face was sore from being slapped. And I, I did start to slap back a little bit. And I've tried to disengage a bit and, and get back to to my roots and my center. But it's it's tough. And so I get it, it it's tough when somebody says something nasty about, uh, about you on the Internet or you see something and it's really upsetting. Like, I feel those same uh, incentives acting on me to, like, I have to respond to this now. But yeah. oftentimes it's like, if I just wait even an hour, like I'll type a draft out, walk, I always tell people like, here's a good practice to get into type something out, save it as a draft, walk away for an hour or two, if, or ideally even a day, Yeah. come back. Is it still worth saying? Because if it is post it, go ahead. Yeah. But if you even have a hint of doubt after an hour or especially a day, you're like, yeah, you know, after I've thought about it and chewed on it, this probably is not helpful and I'm actually like, you know, I, I've come to see I'm wrong or, or even if it's like, okay, I, I see ways I can say this better and improve upon it. Yeah. Um, You know, there, there's not much, even though like, you know, we were in speech and debate and like, that's different. Like you're forced to speak on the fly and just put things out there. But even then it's like, you, you know, I mean, we put hours and days of preparation into those things. So it was like, you were spontaneously talking about things. but You'd already put in hours of prep work into talking about it um can you imagine if we had to show up and do those events and it was like hey you've had no time to research uh here's google here's 20 minutes round starts in 20 minutes and debate it like it would have been it would have been you know a train wreck
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's tactics i mean you started off by talking about tactics and that's just i i I never understand when people don't care about results because i'm like what are you what are you trying to get here like what's the point you know if it's just to get the like the dopamine and endorphins from like dunking all over somebody go play a video game and put it on easy mode like it, there's no there's no reason to make somebody else feel bad or you know or potentially make your side position look weaker you know if if you're if you're getting out there and you're just and you're just creating a problem um and and i do think i mean you talk about times you got sick of turning the other cheek there is a time when when i use the block button i mean there's time when i leave a group i mean it's just I think when I talk about the dogs, right, how it's like we want to create a healthy environment for these dogs, I'll take an ill-behaved dog, I won't take somebody who's burning the dog's house down, right, like there's a difference between somebody who's like, I can get them in on this culture and fix them up versus somebody who's outwardly hostile towards all of that, you know, and, and when people start threatening your family, your friends, your, you know, yeah. when, when they say like, I would love, there's a lot of people I would even love and I even think I can fix. But unfortunately, as soon as you start calling people slurs on my feed, I, you, ha- I have to block you. I have to ban you. Like, there's nothing I can do at that point. Yeah. It's not that I don't think you can be changed. It's that you've put yourself in a position where I have to choose whether I want my trans friends to be comfortable or my, my GSM friends to be, you know, comfortable with talking to me and, and in the Liberty movement or putting up with your loud, idiotic mouth. And unfortunately, like when you force my hand that way, that's something to talk about, you know, like now there are people who I feel like don't go out of their way to be aggressively, like they might be racist, but they're not trying to be aggressive about it or they're anti-trans, but they're just like, it's just this weird religious belief that I have, or this, you know, this obscure, you know, I just, it's this feeling or this science or, you know, whatever, or this YouTube video or something like that. That's just like, this is kind of what's eaten away at me. And that's something I can work with, right? Because you're not actively attacking my friends. And so then i you can be like, I, they can say, I don't respect those friends, but that's why I don't engage them. And then I can work with you and kind of fix that culture around you versus when there's, the other bit that's kind of when I mean I have a substantial block list because I mean there's people that just won't leave me alone. Yeah, I've I've become
0: more home. comfortable with the block button as of late. I used to yeah. pride myself in like I don't block anybody, and then right. a year into libertarian activism, it's like okay, my block list grew like I can't even say exponentially because you know anything <laughs> times zero is still zero, so right. it was it grew infin- infinitesimally. <laughs> right.
1: Um, one, then yeah. Then two, then it grew exponentially. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah you know, and you know, that's a good maybe transition into the last um part of the show. um you know, because because you and I, like we're both christians, and in in that sense, we share a lot of cultural views. And like I think that's kind of been evident in our conversations. And even though, like, you know we 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 have some differences of opinion on things within within the party and the movement, oftentimes we we can still like kind of we we kind of agree on tactics and and kind of like a general. Long term view in in a general sense, I think. Um, But what you were just describing actually felt a lot like me, where it's like um, you tend to be a bit more, you know, I guess like you call yourself center. But um, I, I often feel like on a lot of the social issues, you tend to kind of be more uh on the left broadly i, I mean I'm for, left of
1: you on social issues yeah i, I mean for lack
0: and, and like i hate using left versus right terms it's just like there's it's what no the, it's other what good people are using so yeah. i might as well yeah yeah it, it's like there's no other quick way to you know uh explain all this and i i tend to be a bit more conservative in my in my social views um now i don't go out there like beating a drum about it you know what i mean and like and obviously uh, i am an am ai am a i'm a i'm a you know, pretty radical anarchist. And, uh, even if I was going to compromise on minarchy, it should only, you know, a minimal state should only be to protect, you know, people's rights. It should not be to impose any kind of cultural, social, religious norms on people. Um, uh, actually one of the reasons I started my podcast was there's a lot of people in my, like I come from more like the Calvinist reformed Christian circles. And a lot of them have been going back to this stupid reconstructionist, uh, uh, theonomist view like our dominionism and i'm just like ugh, i'm so tired of the you know hey let's try mixing church and state again it'll work this time it's like people who refuse to learn from history just um yeah i, I have very little patience for that um but um uh but i but at the same time i still like you know when it comes to the issues of like um you know, I mean, like, there's some things we might agree on. Like, I think you might agree in a general sense, like it's, pr- it's preferable to save sex for marriage um, and, and stuff like that. Um, But when it comes to like sex and like, we're talking about um, the GSM community, I tend to be a bit more conservative on those issues. And I find myself in this weird, uh, I don't know, this weird middle ground in the Liberty movement where it's like, you know, I'm, I don't have any desire to be toxic toward these people and to attack them. But I find, um, and and it's not universal that everyone in the GSM community is part of uh, this problem that I'm about to highlight, because I actually know there are, and people might think I'm making this up, but I'm I'm really not. There are trans people and gay people in the Macy's Caucus. Like, it's not all straight white males, (laughs) contrary to some popular beliefs. Um, There's some people that, you know, they have, it's like, um... I don't know. There's this culture about LGBT and 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 GSM that I don't know. It's like it's not something that I am particularly a fan of. I don't feel a need to go out and really speak about it. But it's like it, I often feel like it's the reverse. That's like if I don't share these people's exact beliefs on on these social issues, um, and and affirm them. Like I have to make these positive proclamations and affirm them. And if I don't do that then I'll get labeled as as a as a bigot or a transphobe, homophobe, uh, et cetera. And it, it's 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 a difficult um, ocean to navigate through. And so I was curious to get your thoughts on um on that. I mean, you know, when, when I and this might be where, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot about Mormonism. So maybe there's things in there that are influencing our di- diverging views on this. I, I don't know. I'd be interested to hear those. Uh, maybe it has nothing to do with it. I, I So I, I don't know. But I, I just I don't know. As a, as a Christian, I feel like God made men and women different, equal in a sense of like they're both. Uh, made in the image of God, equal in their rights, but they're but they're different in complementary ways, and they're meant to be, you know, like you know, when when the Bible says, like you know, uh, you know, talks about the set, uh, the union between man and women, uh, men and uh, husband and wife being reflective of like Christ in the church, and you know, I, I think that, uh, yeah, like so, like that's where I'm coming from when I feel like uh, marriage should be between a man and a woman, and. I don't even know uh, how to feel about uh, the, the the debate on gender. <laughs> um, that's something where I've, I've tried to to read the scientific stuff on it and I kind of see where they're coming from. But then from a Christian worldview, I have a hard time trying to square it. I know there's the one, there's one passage that often gets brought up, which is like in, in Christ, there is no Greek, no Jew, no uh, slave, no free, no male, no female. And like, yeah, I get that in a ultimate, View and like if you have like an an eternity view of all people, our our earthly categories of like male and female are meaningless in the the context of the body of Christ, and I think that's true. Um, But I have a hard time reconciling, I guess, like the LGBT and the GSM culture and and movement with my uh, with my Christian worldview and 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 trying to engage in libertarian spaces where you know, there's a lot of, there, there's a, you know, healthy number of those people. And, and yeah, so I, I rambled on a little bit there. I'll let you chime in with your thoughts.
1: No, you're good. Um, so, just for anybody listening, I actually did recently leave the LDS Church, uh, like a couple months back. So oh, okay. So I am okay. uh, I, I'm just a normal Christian now. Um, just
0: a normal. I, you're you're a normie.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Um,
0: I did not know that. I apologize. I must have. I don't know. Did you make to, an announcement or?
1: We actually did an episode on it on any me, me of my enemy because uh, Lou totally is missing LDS memories. Oh, okay. Ex-Mormons. See, I saw you
0: guys talking about it in the chat, but like, I I, I thought you were just. I, I didn't know you were going to talk about it, like you were leaving. You left it, so oh, I yeah. apologize. No
1: no worries. It's uh, it wasn't anything grand. Like it's not like I like informed them or burned my membership card. I just, it was like, I can't be part of this anymore. And actually this, this is a really good example. Cause this goes to talk about that culture problem that you're talking about when you say like, man, I like, I want to get into those spaces, but I don't really like the culture. First of all, I love Liberty, but the culture is sometimes cool. Right. So, mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily that this hap that, that it's not necessarily the truth always has a good culture around it right <laughs> and so i think we accept i accept liberty as a superior product to sure. authoritarianism but a lot of times there is an easygoing kind attitude around authoritarianism it's not right like we're very careful philosophically to say like it is not a kind philosophy but then there's this very angry hostile um you know culture that follows Libertari- libertarians around now. Some of the the hostilities earned. They're hurting us. People are doing damage to us. We get a, e- even if it's not damage to us, it's damage to people that we love. We see statism hurting people, and we kind of cultivate this anger. Um, yeah. There is kind of there's this uh, fantastic book about uh, nonviolent revolution, and one of the identifiers of it, and, and this is actually there's there's websites that talk about this as well. That um, if in successful nonviolent revolutions, one of the things they've managed to do is to cultivate a sense of humor. Um, And if they're just constantly spend all of their time angry that it doesn't work right because people don't want to be part of something that's angry because then what you just say is the angry thing is going to take over. It's not just the truth taking the like taking hierarchy it's that culture that follows it as well now. Let me talk about biblical examples of this. How many times did God's church fall apart in the Old Testament because of a poor and sickened culture, right? Like this wasn't just like they forgot the laws. This was like they started treating each other like dog crap. And then and then it, the whole church falls apart, right? And then yeah. God comes down after like 2000, like 2000 or so years. And he's like, what is this? And they're like, well, these people over there. And it's like, oh, geez, like this church is so messed up right now like i'm i got to send like a prophet to fix it and like let's let like let's try to make amends here and we get some really great insight as far as culture from the prophets as well i'm really big on a lot of the old testament prophets especially when they talk about matters of culture ezekiel's a big one for me um daniel actually the yeah. title of the podcast another great example of talking about cultures that re- are really sickening you know um and so what happens is the, I think the LDS church is kind of there right now. Even if I were to accept that this is the restored church or whatever, right now, it's not in a good place. And I don't think that God wants me to be part of something that's not in a good place. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, he doesn't even hold it against the people in the Old Testament, like when the church falls apart. He's like, of course, they left because these people are gross, you know? Yeah. To, as far as the like GSM stuff goes, because I've had a lot of Christians have a tough time reconciling this. And there's a lot of, if you get into the nitty gritty and like the word parts, I have an in interlinear Bible at home that it really is kind of easy to explain away a lot of the anti homosexual stuff in the scriptures. However, at the bottom line, there's always this and I think that this is important, is that the number one most important law is to love God. Number two is to love your neighbors, right? And how do we deal with people lovingly, right? Like we got to deal with them in these loving ways. And that is not always affirmation of bad decisions that they're making, but it's also non-judgmental. Three times the apostles ask Christ how they get into heaven. All three times Christ doesn't say, believe in me, believe in my sacrifice, believe in the cross. He actually says, stop judging people, forgive people right? Like in three separate occasions. So it's not like this was like an occasional one-off How you verse. How you
0: forgive, you will be forgiven, I think. Correct. The stick which, with yeah. which you
1: measure others will be used to yep. measure yourself as well, right? So like we have all these like stop judging people verses. Yep. And then we even have God, ref- God doesn't want to give even the Ten Commandments. That's like a whole struggle in the Bible, right? Like most like, oh, we need commandments like to guide people. And God's like, man, like there's a problem, with laws. There's a problem with commandments because then there's a time when it's like, oh, well, you're not supposed to bear false witness. Well, uh, for David to escape Saul trying to murder him, his wife lies about his location, says he's sleeping in the room. And it's like... And then it's like, God approves of that. And so what we're like, Oh my gosh, but God just approved of bearing false witness. He's like, well, no, I don't want people getting murdered. Obviously. Like there's a common sense hierarchy here. And that's kind of the issue with laws. Look at another one, kosher law, right? Like what happens when Peter's like, but, but we're not supposed to eat any of this. And God's like, what are you talking about? Right? So like what we have is we can find these justifications even in the scriptures, Where it's like, where, where it's like, I think I found an excuse to be like kind of judgmental or kind of, you know, like negative towards somebody. But, but I think that what it comes down to is what God specifies is the most important commandments, like love God, love your neighbors, like build them up. And I think that that for me is a big one as far as like why I have managed to generate a lot of allies with the GSM community, because I have no issue with their lifestyle there. That's their lifestyle. Like I, I want them to find their individuality if what they're doing is not right. Like, here's a good example of one that I think like, I'm okay with a homosexual couple. I'm a, and I think when things get, when I would say maybe I wouldn't approve of something, like, let's say something that I just don't think works out as well as when people like really go hard against the new, nu- the nuclear family. I don't believe, like, I'm definitely not for this, like, patriarchy. I make all the laws and everybody else just follows around me like a little, you know, worm or whatever. But I do think there is a point of being like, hey, let's make sure our sons and daughters are raised and taught and fed. And let's make some people responsible for those, you know, let's give them those responsibilities and tasks to make sure everybody's taken care of, educated, eats, sleeps. I'm not even saying you have to do this by sex gender, whatever, like whoever teaches anybody, as long as it's all getting done, right? There's a lot of people who are like, what's the problem with having 15 kids, one mom, no dad. And I'm like, well, you may have used your, you may have used your voluntarism correctly, technically, but like, are you able to give love to all those kids? You know what I mean? Are you able to give that love? And that, what I make it is I make it about that standard not you're attacking me and my christian nuclear family just how well does that work out like how much time and effort are you able to put into your kids when you have that many sure. you know like or or when you say i'm not present and they're in all these different places now if you can fantastic but like this is why it's not my judgment it's that's just a result of kind of i mean almost capitalism right like that's just the market yeah like, that's just yeah. what
0: happens it's, it's this weird dichotomy between like <sighs> And, and, like, I'm with you as far as, as far as like in like what I try to walk is is be not being judgmental towards anyone for for being gay or trans or 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 anything in the in the GSM gendered sexual minorities, for those who don't know the acronym. um in terms of like i I mean, I really don't like outside of like the purpose of like talking about it in a podcast um or like if the conversation comes up, I really don't go out there and initiate conversations where you know, if, if I know somebody who's gay or trans, I'm not going to bring anything up about like, Oh, you're, you're, you know, like, Oh uh, other yeah, Like, you know, we all know the cringy Christians that go around and, and, and condemning people for their sins or out West there on the Baptist, street corners. Yeah. God like
1: dead soldiers outside of the funerals. Like, yeah. It's like, that's, that's good not job scaring a lot of people away from Christianity. Right.
0: Like that is not Christ-like at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's like, look, we talked about throughout this podcast and you brought it up. It's like, does loving my neighbor mean, uh, approving of or celebrating everything they do and and that's the tension that uh i have to, i often find myself wrestling with and i don't know the exact way to navigate it no matter what i do i feel like i'm 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 compromising a little bit and you know that's probably part of life life is messy there's always a little bit of of uh of compromise when we're dealing with people um i always want to err on on love and, and like yeah. being loving in my treatment of people um, but, but, I don't know. I just, I just feel like I can't go, uh, to the, to, to the level that a lot of them want me to go where it's like, I would affirm from a, from just a personal, like when people ask like, okay, but like, what's your, and I always like, I'm always hesitant to answer when people push me to be like, but but what do you think? Do you think it's sinful if, if two guys get married? Do you think it's sinful if somebody goes through gender transition surgery? And I'm always like. I don't know. I mean, and, and like, you shouldn't care what my views are because I'm not using advocating for the state to do anything about it. But then people like, they just push you. They want to know what your views are. And it's like, well, I don't know. Like I just, when, if you, when push comes to shove, um, I don't know what I would do if my son came to me and said uh, that he was struggling with his identity in terms of like being, a, being a male, being a boy. Um, I'd still love my son no matter what his life choices were, but what would I encourage him to do and how would I take on the role as a father in guiding him? I'm not sure that my first choice would be to just like, you know, jump the gum to being like, well, maybe you aren't a boy. Um, you know what I mean? Like that's, I'm just being honest there. Um, same with, with sexuality. And I don't know, like, I actually, what's funny is I don't, I, I don't often view gender as being Fluid in the way that, like, it's often modernly talked about, but I, I actually think sexuality is more fluid than gender. In that, like, I don't think people are straight and gay. I think there is a lot of people who are kind of like, and I think the Bible, Bible even talks about this. Like, it's sometimes there, there are people in, um, like, uh, what what Paul was talking about, uh I think it was in Corinthians, where like when, 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 uh, men in lust, women and their lust were leaving relationships with the uh, opposite sex for uh pursuing you know sex with the same uh, with with people of the same sex um you know it was in the context so it's like i always feel like there's there's the bible is even taught there's a little bit of this you know f- fluidity and stuff to as far as sexual attraction goes um with gender i'm not so sure i don't know it's a muddy area but um i think that i would be it'd be a lot easier for christians such as myself who are more conservative leaning in temperament um, and in our b- belief systems to, to be in positive relationships with people who are you know trans or gay or whatever if there wasn't this culture around it that like and there's not a good label for that either i mean uh w- w- the, the woke uh crowd is what it's often referred to which i feel like is a dumb name but I don't have a better name for it at the moment. So I reluctantly use it, but it's just, this, like, if it's almost like, I feel like around the GSM community, there's this weird secular religion that's built been built around these people. That's like, if you want to love and support these people, you must take a openly affirming position of like these statements of principles. And if you don't uh, you're, you're a bad person or you're, you're, you're not an ally. You're not, you know, on the 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 in crowd, so to speak. And then, oh, right. in libertarian circles, it get gets used to use, be like, "Oh, you're being anti-libertarian. and And so it's like and this is a lot of, I think, the underlying tensions that also come to bear at the party because there are people that come to libertarianism that come from the left right. on these social issues and from the right. Now, we all generally agree on there's some people that that might be a little behind on it. but I think, 90% of those in the movement regardless of their views on the social issues agree on the uh, the role of the state in terms of not being involved in it. Sure. But then it's like, well, what do we promote? And I think some people want the party and the movement to promote the left social values. But then the conservatives are like, but wait, those aren't my social values. So you're kind of excluding us in your attempts to include these people. And that's part of the tensions I see at play here. And I'm not I've been struggling to think of what the solution is Um, other than, you know, I've always just tried to push, listen, I think libertarian culture should be like, there should be a culture, but we should keep it a thin culture that's centered around liberty and celebrating that, Hey, listen, you can have whatever religion, whatever social views you want. So long as uh, you're not advocating that the state be the arbiter of those views to be pushed upon other people. Um, but the rest of it we should celebrate like i I wish that like i like the idea of diversity but i wish that there could be a celebration of 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 diversity not just in skin color not just in in ethnicity but in religious views in in lifestyles and even in when it comes to what your social views are in insofar as you're not like you know if you have some like truly abhorrent social view like you know i think you know homosexuals should be stoned to death well okay well that that needs to be excluded because you're actually you know advocating for violence um but to me, that's where the lines should be drawn um what are your thoughts
1: yeah so this is where like i kind of break with a lot of like the libertarians and this is probably why i seem left of others right because there's that like i want to unify around the minimum of liberty whereas i've kind of pushed for the maximum of liberty whereas like there's the don't hurt people don't take their stuff that's the minimum of liberty the maximum of liberty is then the opposite of that right like heal people and give them stuff right like not with the state not with violence i get it but like let's create like let's reward them now here's the thing it's not that there's not destructive behaviors but think about the parable of the prodigal son like Mm -hmm. if you think they're engaging in a destructive behavior the father in that situation does not have to punish the son he doesn't have to tell the son like you're making a mistake you're stupid you're dumb explore the path that's actually why we're all here on earth if, our, if the point was just to never sin, we stay in heaven and we don't go anywhere, right? So, like, the point is to explore all of these things. Now, I am a Christian hedonist, which means I believe that God, the reason he issues the decrees, policies, commandments, whatever he may issue, is for our benefit, right? Like, that that's what a hedonist believes is that these things are for our benefit. And I believe that God does these things for our benefit. It's not just so that we like suffer because he likes to watch us suffer or likes to forbid things just because it's hilarious. He forbids them because they're unhealthy for us. They're bad for us. They don't work hmm. out. You yeah, know I what I mean? that's
0: my, that's kind of what I said earlier. Like I think sin is ultimately bad because of yeah. the harm it causes us.
1: Right. So the idea is that is this if homosexuality is a sin, then we should see a tremendous amount of failure And damage in those relationships that does not pertain to the outside community. I don't have to add any fire to that. If I think homosexuality is a sin, it's gonna fail, right? Like, because Mm. that is the standard that I have, because God is, God has decreed no, now I don't believe this, but if I were to believe that God has decreed no homosexuality, I don't need to enforce that. Christ did not once ask somebody for their gender or sexuality, right? Like, and there's a reason for this because if they are engaged in a poor sexual behavior that is unhealthy, he can offer an alternative lifestyle and that's probably the better way to go about it. Now, here's the thing. I, and, and it's, this is big for me. And this is why if we do get into the nitty gritty that I don't believe God rejects trans people or homosexuals, I think he accepts them all, but there is like an area of just being like, if it then does not punish us. And in fact, If these people are loved, embraced, praised for their individualism, that they don't suffer the way that the others do. So much of this manufactured stuff, because we as Christians, I'm not responsible for your sin if I think homosexuality is a sin. Like I said, I don't, but let's just say it. If I think homosexuality is a sin, I'm not responsible for that sin. What I am responsible for is if I torment you and hurt you and ridicule you and you kill yourself. That is on me. Right. So, like, I don't, I am absolutely on the hook for people that I hurt because I know better. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so if I am saying hurtful things to you and I am I am the one inserting the damage. Like I said, like racists, the reason they pay the price on the open market is because people don't like doing business with them. I view the exact same way with homophobes. Right. Or like like even if we don't like the term homophobe, because like even when I was against homosexuality in my younger days, like it's I was never afraid of it. Right. Like I understood it. Like I don't like the term homophobe because that applies to like afraid or something. I just saw it as like a sin. Right. When I got to understand what a sin was, is a sin to be was to be without God, right? Like that's sin without. And so if I say, like, if I say they're living a life of sin where God can't be in there, then that that's a punished situation. That's a prodigal son and they'll come back, right? They'll come back aching, bruised, beaten, and say, like, boy, that was tough. If instead, though, I say, here's your inheritance, go do your best, because that's what the father does with the prodigal son, right? Gives him his hands early, says, go out, I'm praying for you, I love you, and you've got a home here if you ever want to come back. Prodigal son does his thing, comes crawling back. Now, there's certain behaviors that are very different. That So let me use a different one, gambling, right? Like mm. That's something that libertarians are super cool with, and I will fight tooth and nail for you to have the right to gamble. Yeah, you should be able to gamble online. You should gamble on the, you know, horses, dogs. You should be able to go to the track. I guess there's some animal rights in there stuff that I don't want to get into, but yeah, you should be able to gamble on sports and whatever you want. I believe it is a terrible idea, <laughs> and I believe yeah. you can really do a lot of damage to yourself just spiritually. You know, you you talked earlier about. Um, how much that it punishes the soul of the statists like who act with the authority of the state who take stuff. You took my stuff. I'm a victim, but my spirit can remain intact. When you take my stuff, if you steal somebody's stuff, your soul does not remain intact, right? Like you've severed a tie there that God is like, no, like you are like, that's not something that fits in my presence, you know? So one of the reasons that I've accepted homosexuality, we can go verse by verse and argue all day, but I think the importance of it is this, is I remember those times in the Bible where people would go to God and they'd be like, what about this verse? There's the ox and the mire, there's kosher law, there's the the spy, um, the Jericho spy. The Sabbath. Um, there's, right. There's uh, the Sabbath. There's various examples where God's like, okay, go with your conscience over the law. And this happens on every single time, right? Like every single time there's a conflict between the law and the right thing to do, like, or the, well, let's we'll say the loving thing to do that God is like, you do the loving thing, right? Yeah. Like that's what you need to do. And so for me, I am going to say, I encourage you. I, I love it to see it because it's them flexing their individualism. If for some reason it ends up being a sin that will punish itself. That's not my responsibility. And I'm happy that they're able to do it, right? Like, again, here's another one. I've never done a, a drug in my life. I've never smoked a marijuana. I've never had a drop of alcohol in my entire life. I'm not gonna start now. Like, I don't like it, but I will fight for your right to do it. And if you want to celebrate, You have my blessing if it's really a bad thing you'll mess your life up and hey come on back home and let's get you fixed up now i will still say something about it and i can still say like hey i really love you and here's my concerns if you're concerned about your son there's that right but if your son says hey i'm having trouble with my identity education right fight with education and give them the you know give them the kind of that competition right let it be an open market if i think it works in libertarian philosophy there's no reason it shouldn't work with christian morality as well that i say like if i if i believe that christ is the creator and this is the this is the challenge even in the scriptures right if if you are doubting the bible cuz we don't have a video camera i can't show you the life of christ i can't show you the creation of the universe there wasn't somebody with a video camera there i can't show it right but here's the challenge you take the seeds that are planted you plant them they grow you eat the fruit if the fruit is good then that's good soil right so this is my challenge with christians take that same challenge that the gospel gives you Treat it with homosexuals, gambling, drinking, whatever. Plant it, let it grow, taste the fruit. If the fruit is bad, get away. If it's not, then this is something to pursue. And those are going to be natural consequences. People don't like eating bad fruit. You know, yeah. the prodigal son comes home because it's a crappy lifestyle, yeah, right. right? Like it's a yeah. crappy thing to do. Get, like being a, Like having an occasional drink, maybe that's good for you probably wouldn't be good for me i'm kind of loose enough right but you know i literally had
0: one while we were talking right
1: yeah (laughs) probably not good for me but yeah for some people it helps them loosen up right and who am i to make a law that says this is it for everybody this is why god doesn't like to make laws because maybe my soil is different than yours right like if i were in a homosexual relationship it would be very bad for my soul because i would not be turned on by my partner and that would be that i've often
0: I've yeah. often wondered, and like I've 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 looked into all the different arguments against why the like you know the, they're like the six or seven passages against yeah. homosexuality. Mm-hmm. I've looked into the alternative explanations and arguments for them. Find some of them plausible. Some I'm not as as uh I don't know satisfied with their explanations on. Right. But um. But I definitely what like the the strongest arguments for me for why homosexuality wouldn't be a sin are often more. The things that you just alluded to, which is like, how often did Jesus have to correct us for observing the letter of the law, but not the heart of the law? Yes. And, and for, and um I think uh, to an extent, God gave the law, I think not, I don't know, I don't know if I'd use the word reluctantly, but I think God gave us the law knowing that like, you're like, we wouldn't even measure up to it. And I think it served a particular purpose for a time and like, so there, 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 mean, there's just, just to interrupt because
1: yeah. I want you to answer this question while you keep going. Why do you think God gave kosher law only to reject it? Because I feel like in that answer is a lot of
0: well, a lot of it was the uh, mixture with the um, um, well, I mean, there, there's some of the kosher law pro- was probably practical for that day and age, like you know, not eating pork and stuff before uh being able to prepare and cook it properly and understanding but germ theory and all just that. Taught
1: him how to cook it properly,
0: right? Well, I mean, there's a lot of th- yeah, I yeah. mean. There's no, no. that, but but I think primarily a lot a lot of Levitical law, a lot of Old Testament law. My my view on this from my study is um, that a lot of it was God uh, trying to distinguish His people from the surrounding cultures. Um, and God was very big on not having any mixture with the pagan cultures and stuff. So a lot of that, uh, you know, and and so this is you know, you might be I don't know if you're bringing this up because I know a lot of the explanations for like even when homosexuality was brought up. It was brought up in the context of those pagan cultures that it wasn't a voluntary relationship between two consenting yeah. adults of the same Correct. sex. Yeah. A lot of it was, yeah, pretty barbaric, nasty stuff involving children a lot of times and yeah. um, and or like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Like a lot of people bring that up. And I think well, that's a stupid yeah. argument, because even if those if if the attempted rape hadn't been like male on male, it still would have been rape right it's rape that's like, that i don't problem. think the i don't think the problem was primarily the uh the 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 uh the the same sexness of of that uh I gotta tell of you, that as threat
1: a kid, i even read that verse and i was like oh yeah rape rape is bad yeah, yeah. people suck cause and of rape. even
0: more so then what does jesus and paul remind us of later which was like what was their it's kind of like what you were talking about earlier where it's like when those sins happen, it's because a lot of stuff happened before that that was wrong. And what was Sodom and Gomorrah's main sin? He didn't love their neighbor. They didn't care for the least of these. Uh, they were selfish. They had they had no concern for each other. Yep. Um, and that led, that culture led to a lot of bad fruit like you're talking about here. And so yeah, I definitely, like, I'm not even, when I say, I, like, I, I'm going to be very careful with my words. I lean towards those conservative views, but I don't um, hold to them like black and white. Like I'm absolutely sure because um, I'm just not. And well, I've heard like If I were yeah. to steal, man,
1: your argument, you see a traditional Christian getting kicked out of the Liberty movement because they have a very traditional view of marriage or something. Right. Yeah. Like that, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and and that just goes back to my earlier point that we shouldn't be looking to kick, kick people out. If any, that used to be my view on it. Right. And if the view was to kick the Hodies out of the movement, all of a sudden you don't have like it's supposed to change me you you miss out on an ally right like you miss out yeah. on somebody who's going to end up being your friend right like so i needed to have my heart worked on and like somebody to like change it and read these verses with and explain it to me right like to to kind of get to where i am on the subject today so cuz you are right like there is a lot of like Gatekeeping in this sense—that's like if you don't absolutely love that you know your kid is going to be trans and you're going to get them a get them a, a, even... a puppet to stick down their pants and, when they're and, three years old—they like, so get used to the feeling of having a penis, which is like a real thing, which is yeah. Just bizarre. I mean,
0: a, a lot of <laughs> the, a lot of my issue with even transgenderism isn't even like I'm not even I don't think it's sinful if a person who is an adult and has struggles with their gender expression and undergoes transition i actually think there's less of a biblical case to condemn that than there is to condemn homosexuality even if it's a voluntary relationship um and even that's not as concrete as some people think it is um i worry more about uh the uh gender uh theory and stuff when it comes to what we're pushing on children i guess that's what my main concern is um and 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 then it's at the same token though um i don't want to be hateful towards people and i don't want to be like some of the christians who um these communities have been wounded by and i'm very mindful and cognizant of that as well uh do i do recognize some of what the traditional christian is facing when they enter the liberty movement is blowback from decades of the church being absolutely abusive towards gsm individuals and that is not christ-like at all um because even if i were to view either of those things as being sinful okay well those are one of many things that are sinful and guess what we're all sinners
1: yeah the so church's those people... own actions were condemned by the bible like we like yeah. the reason those got overturned is because somebody read the bible and was like you're not living up to your bible like you you say it you're not preaching it or living it right yeah like, that's the problem i mean as far as like the kids go this kind of goes into the peaceful parenting thing which is which is something that i do love um which is the idea that's like we kind of treat our we train our kids from the beginning as though that these are voluntary interactions we often make excuse to have involuntary interactions with our kids to have yeah. violent interactions with our children because we just say oh they need authority at this time they need a you know they need a you know, well, I think whatever. they do
0: need authority, but what does is, what is Christ-like authority look like is what I challenge Christians with, which is like discipline and authority are good, but the mm-hmm. authority of God and of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is contrary to the the uh, warped view of authority and uh, discipline that the world teaches. Because the world the world corrupts those things to be coercive and evil, whereas God's authority and God's discipline is loving and gentle. Yes. Um, yeah.
1: Right. And it, and it works with what you have. We talk, and Paul talks about going milk to meat, right? Like you start yep. with milk, you give the meat. So when you're raising a kid, they don't know the difference between, you know, a, a steak that they can eat and a pudding cup that they can't. Versus when you're 18, you have the ability to make a decision yeah. between steak and pudding. Now, you probably also were able to do that at 17. 16, 15. Where's the line? There's a reason there's not a hot, hard line for it. It's difficult to define, right? Like we don't, yeah. it dep- every kid is going to kind of manage these things differently. And therefore every parent is going to kind of have to adjust their styles a little bit. I, for one, believe that allowing a trans person, I mean, it's kind of important to get it in before puberty because that way your hormones develop your body the way you want to. But that being said, I don't think we rush them at age four years old and be like, do you wish you had a penis to your little daughter constantly? Like, you're just like, oh my gosh, like it's going to, as long as they are comfortable with telling you these things, they're going to let you know way before that age, right? Like if you force them into a closet because you have that, that violent parenting and they're scared of you because you're an authoritarian figure, right? You'll never know. You know, so like what they're going to and that's where the confusion and difficulty is going to come from. You're never going to be able to have that educational process with them or have them be comfortable with themselves as an individual. If you take that away from them and you raise them to respect your authority completely until they're 18 years old. Our job. I mean, we're libertarians. We believe in individualism. Shouldn't we be trying to create more individuals with our kids? Oh, yeah. And and it's like
0: ultimately, if my kid ever came out as gay or or they believe they were transgender, I'm not going to try to control them. Because that is that is the opposite approach. Even if I think what they're doing ultimately is not beneficial for, because it's like my primary concern is that I, I am not convinced always that these lifestyles are beneficial for them. Sure. But I also think what you said might have some merit to it, which is it might be that these are things that are uh, not universal. And like for you, it might be wrong, but for somebody else, maybe it isn't. And there are things that scripture tells us that are matters of personal conviction. And maybe this is something and the whole milk before meat thing is another good argument, too, which is like maybe in the Old Testament in that time period, this general prohibition made sense and was beneficial for the most amount of people. But as time progresses, maybe that has changed. Um, So there's a lot of complexity around this. But uh, I want I'm glad we were able to talk about this because it helps. First of all, like conversation like this helps me to crystallize my thoughts and views better. And I like being able to have this kind of conversational back and forth and get pushed on my my beliefs, so that I can consider alternative points of view and 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 just you know gives me more to think about and and hopefully more to grow on. And you know I I I don't like whether this is Christians or libertarians. Sometimes people I think get to a point where they're like, uh, oh, I got it all figured out. I don't need to learn anymore. All my views are correct. It's like, man, like <laughs> I could never be that a. Uh, yeah. that that prideful or arrogant because like i know how much i've been wrong in the past i'm sure there's still stuff i'm wrong about right now um can't know what it is till i get to that point but that has to happen organically uh over time and, and and i feel like this is all like our whole conversation has. we've hit different topics but i think the theme of it is um you know ultimately what wins the day and i i always agree with you when you say this is leading with love and you know uh I think Paul said it best when he was like, "I could uh, have all the the gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues, and I could write the the greatest poetry and novels, and I could do the greatest deeds. But if I do it all and I have, I don't have love. I'm but a noisy gong." And I think that's at the end of the day, uh, you know, if if we're not motivated primarily by our love for God and our neighbor, then Christians and as libertarians we're going to fall short of the mark. And that does need to be what our hearts are oriented towards.
1: Yeah, man. Dude, uh, thanks for having me on. Obviously. Pleasure to talk with you as always. I mean, obviously you're part of the show sometimes too, so you understand. I mean, Yeah, I, before,
0: I, I wanted to give you a chance before we got off here just to plug yeah. uh, your stuff again and talk about Enemy of My Enemy, which is a show uh, that if you guys, you know, watching this, follow me, definitely go watch that show. Sometimes I'm a guest host on it, but maybe just quickly explain Enemy of My Enemy before you, before we uh, sign off.
1: Yeah. Anyway, I'm, Enemy of My Enemy is a podcast, the We're Libertarians Network. We go- Weekly, uh, unless somebody gets really sick because they had an adverse reaction to a uh, an immunity shot, unfortunately, <laughs> vaccine. or they're in
0: jail for stealing an apple,
1: or they're in jail for steal or dead. That's for a dead joke, apple. folks. Poor Brian. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but the, I mean, and and it's conversations like this that spawn from it that I I actively seek left right and center libertarians. to to talk about a singular issue now there's sometimes that we all agree right but there are sometimes that we disagree and I think it's important for people to hear and validate these other perspectives even if they take a different point of view because like you I think that you know light kills dark right like dark does not kill light like I could invite as much darkness on my show as I wanted but if the light is there darkness isn't going to stand a chance right like now this isn't we don't we mostly don't talk about religion. We stick to politics. Um, But, you know, that's kind of my view on like how the truth and how philosophy and everything works is that if I have an inferior opinion, it's going to get chased away. Now we've done, over 20 episodes now, and I have changed my opinion on some of the things that we've already done. Now, this isn't just because it's like I was an evil person or dark. It's just, that's the great part of having conversations with people that see things differently, is you get these perspectives, and you say, thank you for that perspective. I would like to embrace that, like that, like that's a new part of me. I mean, this is a good point to wrap up on, because you talk about that accelerated, like I'm an accelerated learning process right now. I'm a way like way better libertarian than I was when I joined, boy, I guess it must've been six ish, seven, eight. I don't know. Maybe even longer than that years ago now that I'm thinking, yeah, well, Obama was around, whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, like, you know, however long I've been a libertarian for, I've become a better libertarian since then. And it's, incre- it's going at an increasing learning rate and it's because I'm able to have these dialogues and because I've kind of created a culture and, and, And it's not, it sounds arrogant to say I've created, but I have chosen the people that I do well with that help create this kind of loving culture that if I invited somebody to hang out with us, they'd be welcomed to have their ideas, to go, to have a back and forth. And then to be like, you know what, if we still agree to disagree, that's just what's, that's what's up. You know, it just happens that way. But at least we're able to have these conversations. Um, We're mostly Sunday nights. You can go live, you can comment, we take audience questions. Um, It's boy, it's accelerating. I mean, we got 20 times the listeners that we had like <laughs> a month ago. And and then like 10 times the listeners that we had the month before that. It's one of those that's like, I have like five downloads on my first episode. And now, you know, when you start to hit the thousands, you're kind of like, oh geez, like this is getting to be really something. And it's it's cool because I think there is a hunger for these conversations without vi- without anger, without violence, yeah. without without resentment, you know? And, and And I get the passion. I get why people are passionate about it. When you have- one of your friends that's been molested on a border prison, or if you've had somebody who's had an adverse reaction to the vaccine, your, the, your point of view is important and important to consider. And so you're going to have a naturally differing opinion with somebody who says, you know, maybe there does need to be borders. And I think the combination of these two ideas, because I think libertarian as an, indiv- as, as an individualist philosophy, it's not something that we collectivize, so it's not okay for me to say liberty. Like, it's not okay for me to put forth a philosophy or an idea or a policy that works 99% of the time. It either works 100% of the time, or I say it's your call over your own life, right? Because mm. that that's the two, right? And so what I what I like about these conversations is even if they end in a place where we don't agree, that's all the more reason for us to say like, hmm maybe that's why personal accountability is so important that maybe that's why personal decisions are more important than state decisions because there's no amount of policy that's going to navigate these complex issues. You know, we can talk a lot about one issue every week. You know, we usually deal with some kind of current event if there's something going on or a a big topic that everybody's dealing with, um, you know, and, and try to, and try to navigate that. But yeah, that's kind of the show. Um, you can catch me there. I also write, I mean, my, my main shtick and, I love my podcasting, but I am a uh, much better writer and I do write about video games a lot. If you search for Hody Johns anywhere on Google, I'm sure you're going to find one of my many great video game guides uh, <laughs> around. And that is certainly a way to interact with me as well. Um, that's been awesome. That's really taken off. I actually just got a promotion there as well. And uh, it's uh, there's a lot of balls I'm balancing right now. But um, we're going uh, to have well, to at
0: one nice. point in the future do a, a video game stream uh where we're both like like multi like 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 a hour stream of us playing some kind of multiplayer game together sure that'd be, that'd be fun <laughs>
1: uh yeah any excuse to play video games i will right it. yeah
0: <laughs> i don't get to play them anymore but now it's like see i do podcast i tell my wife i'm going down to podcast
1: <laughs> right oh yeah so we'll podcast yeah, and then and just forget to record it and then right. level up a few times in you know destiny or diablo or something yeah right <laughs> yeah right, well
0: right how do it was a it was a pleasure having you on. I always enjoy our our conversations, and uh, yeah, everyone give him a follow. Follow.